Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? We're at episode 136. Matt's been working tirelessly all day to try to get on the guests that everyone wants to hear from. We were able to lock down at least one of them from the previous winners of this past weekend at the Jonesboro Open. Uh, Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We're uh, very excited to bring you another Nick and Matt show. Yes, sir. Uh, Calvin Heimberg will be on the show. I just got off the phone with him. Uh, He's somewhere in Kansas, so he's driving. Um, but I don't think he'll be driving for the interview. And then this one, everybody, Ricky Wysocki. Some ranking systems have him as what? The number one ranked player in the world right now. And he's been sitting out a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, that should be an interesting interview. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about tonight. Epic. Yeah. What do they call it? A barn burner. (laughs) Something happened in Jonesboro. And yeah. uh, it was what we've all wanted this year. I think our group text was saying something about this. I said, or I don't remember who, maybe it was me. It was, we want an FPO at the very least, an FPO round where it comes down to the last hole and we don't know who's going to win. And what happened? Mm-hmm. Evan, how are you doing? Good. <laughs> and it came down to uh, the last hole and more, yes. which uh, of course we'll get to. Yeah. How are you doing, Evan? I'm doing pretty good. Just, man, it's spring. It's rainy. It's dreary up here in New England. I'm ready for some sunshine. And the sun just came out as we got in the studio and beaming through my window. But we're here talking disc golf. And that's honestly better. Yeah. Um, Tournaments are happening. Uh, Some people have tournaments all the time. (laughs) In the winter, we have what we call New England Team Challenge through the winter. Tournaments are really coming back in full swing. And some really great ones have been bringing my Mm -hmm. kids out. Ben? Yes. Did you shoot the round of your life this weekend? Oh, sorry. I meant to do this. Oh. Um Yeah, brother. No, I I I it was I shot 980. So I I guess so actually. I guess so. Yes. That's my highest rate round, so I guess that would considered be the round of your life. The round of my rate round of my life. But it was Oh, ratings. Rated round. Maybe we should talk about ratings today too. Yeah. Okay. But I shot 900 Seems round. Seems like it's the, the hot round. topic. So. Well, good job. Thanks. Were you you were beat by a fifteen year old, right? Which age? Yeah, I age guess, now yes. means nothing. I mean, golf. so out of the field, only one person wasn't beat by a fifteen year old. So, even all the pros. But the point is, the 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 age doesn't matter anymore. I think in disc golf, no. it pretty much doesn't matter. No, Nick, you were, you were beating people when you were how old? Uh, I started playing when I was eighteen. Oh, there you so, go. So yeah, eighteen or nineteen is when I quote-unquote started beating people so wasn't too young you know i wish you had showed me the sport 10 years prior you had all the opportunities to but you were trying to hold me back i guess and then you're like you know what wait how long have you been playing now then since i you showed me it in 2013 slash 2014 10 years ago about about 10 years yeah with a couple years off here and there so six years before that you would have been 13 i could have brought you out as a 13 year old we knew each other i think i've known you since i was like eight or nine years old maybe yeah 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 Cool. Uh, man, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. So, Evan, go ahead and give us the rundown on the event, and then we're going to break out the topics, and then we're going to get to the interviews and a whole bunch of other stuff. So here we go. 
Yeah, both both divisions were exciting. Came down to the wire in both. Uh, let's start with Cat Mersh though. Arkansas yes. local winning it in Arkansas. Ben's favorite player on tour yep. besides Gannon Burr. Uh, he <laughs> sorry, she it just oh doesn't God. have the same Burr's ring. On my Remember mind. last week? Cat Mersh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't no, we're not same. getting into that. But Ben Ben picked her to win, and what happens? She wins in a playoff over Haley King. Um, it was an exciting final round. Krista Tatar back at the the end of Chase Card, and we saw lots of new faces. We saw Aria Castroita, seventeen year old, who was the PDGA Rookie of the Year last year, uh, up there fighting. We saw Haley King looking back to be in twenty twenty one form, it seems, and Kat Mersh, of, uh, of course, playing for her first victory on tour. It eventually goes to a playoff with Kat Mersh and Haley King. I, I think it, it'll have some discussion there. What was going through uh, Haley's mind and what was up with her lie? It looks like she was in the better position, but her upshot hit some trees and she had a long circle to putt from the woods that she wasn't able to get down. Kat Mersh was able to lay it up for the playoff victory. Like I said, that's her first elite win of her career. It's only her third podium on tour of her career. The other two, the first one was at Jonesboro last year. And the other one was last week at Champions Cup. So lots of uh, recency going well for Cat Merch. Uh, we saw Holland Hanley uh, get a fourth place finish. She is now tied for second in the Disc Golf Pro Tour points. Evelina Salonen had a good weekend finishing fifth and beating Kristen Tatar as the best European of the weekend in FPO. Kristen Tatar finishes, finishes sixth off the podium yet again. That's her second finish off the podium this season. Uh, the first two times she's ever been off the podium at Disc Golf Pro Tour events. Uh, Kristen Tatar still leads in Disc Golf Pro Tour points. Definitely the best player of the season still, not taking any of that away. Her, her Disc Golf Pro Tour lead actually is the largest lead since 2020 in Disc Golf Pro Tour points. Uh, a great pace she's setting. Um, and, and worth noting, Ella Hansen, Henna Blomers, uh, Heidi Line, and Missy Gannon finishing 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. Uh, it was an exciting weekend of Disc Golf. Like I said, there's a lot of names all throughout the place. Over in MPO, we saw Calvin Heimberg and Eagle McMahon go down to the wire. They're trading strokes back and forth through the entire final round. I think they were they were matched the first two rounds, right? Mm-hmm. It was tied after one, tied after two. They were one was going ahead by a stroke or two, the other was going ahead by a stroke or two, uh, back and forth constantly, all the way into hole eighteen. They are tied. Um, Heimberg took a stroke back on seventeen to tie it up. Has the box on eighteen. Throws a great drive. Eagle McMahon decides to go over everything on a huge uh, sky flex line sky highs i think it was a sky highs line excuse me uh ends up going ob doesn't make it back in has to go way back and from there he's just playing hero ball trying to get the miraculous shot of uh ends up triple bogeying to give calvin heimberg a three-stroke win that's calvin heimberg's largest margin of victory of his career at an elite event what? there's now nine elite wins three strokes the largest um oh i should have i should have had this uh prepared but it's something like his last three wins combined were by two strokes at elite events. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had and a so, playoff. That's right. Against Macbeth last year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that brings it up. Common Heiberg's now won three out of the last four years at Jonesboro. The only year he didn't win of those four, he finished second uh, to Ricky Wysocki. Uh, I, I, I find this one interesting. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit cherry picked a little bit, not, but Calvin Heimberg becomes the second MPO player to win a disc golf pro tour elite event three times. 
Ricky Wysocki was the first to do it. He did it at Jonesboro. Uh, he also did it at Ledgestone. That's including the year that him and Calvin Heinberg actually tied. So Wysocki's done it twice. So notably, Paul Macbeth has not done it. Uh, not at a Disc Golf Pro Tour Elite event. He has done it at um, uh, Elite tours. and Majors. Yeah. If you combine National Tours and Pro Tour, <laughs> like DDO, for instance, he's won numerous times, maybe five. One of them was a Disc Golf Pro Tour, maybe two, uh, but not three. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a little bit a little bit cherry picked, but also I think it's fun and worth it. But uh, going down the leaderboard, Eagle McMahon finishes on the podium still. He has back to back podiums for the first time since 2021. I think he's been looking really, really good since getting that uh, that elbow shoulder injury. I forget exactly what body part. Uh, Isaac Robinson gets a podium. Uh, after his Champions Cup win. This was his first time ever playing Jonesboro, and he gets a second-place finish. And I think if you ask people what would be Isaac Robinson's best courses on tour, I don't think this would this wouldn't be one very high up. But he's playing well. He gets the podium finish. Ben Calway also finished in that time for second with them. That's his best finish on tour of his career. Uh, Andrew Presnell gets a fifth-place spot, likely getting him a uh, Disc Golf Pro Tour uh, tour card. Um, and... I want him. Oh, did I not have Silas Schultz listed down? He was playing really well, was he not? He, he did. He did. He I don't was, know how he and then through the first two rounds was playing pretty well, and then the last round had kind of fallen off a little bit. Okay, put him in thirteenth place to end the event. He popped into my mind, and I thought he was in that that mashup of fifth place finishes, but turns out he's not. Like you said, um, and going down the leaderboard, Gannon Burr, who's one of the top players nowadays finishing in 10th. That's a little bit low for him. And then also Chris Dickerson and Paul McBeth tied for 15th with Simon Lazat also in 23rd. So it was a heavy, uh, just bunched uh, leaderboard. Uh, and if there's one more name I have to mention before I finish this, it's James Conrad. He finished tied for fifth. He shoots as of now 11 and 1, 1101. I don't know how to word that. 1101, 1101, whatever you want to do it. 1101 rated round as of now. Uh, official ratings are still pending. I think they will be published on the second Tuesday of the month. So we have about another week to go. Um, but as of now, sitting at 1101, um, a, the first 1100 rated round on the Disc Golf Pro Tour since 2019 when Garrick Earthy did an MVP Open, the first 1100 rated round of James Conrad's career, uh, the best he previously had was, funny enough, 1099. Which he jokingly uh, said, this will probably go down to 1099 once the ratings become official. He was like, please don't happen. But yeah, Maple Hill, 1099. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I to go on that 1099 for a quick second at, at MVP Open uh, in 2018, that was the last time he won a Disc Golf Pro Tour event. Of course, has won two majors in between, which have been very important. Um, but that was a in the final round to get a one-stroke victory over Paul Macbeth. Ricky Wysocki shot an 1100-rated round that event uh, in round two, but then stumbled in the final round. Um and so uh, kind of just full circle moment for uh, things revolving James Conrad. That was a 17 down, by the way. He had two pars, but had an eagle uh, to get to that uh, that mark. And he cleared the field by four strokes. The first two days were playing very, very scorable for the entire field, with the third day actually being not as much. And I'll share this stat. Calvin Heinberg won with a uh, five down in the final round. That's Calvin Heinberg's worst round, score to par-wise, at Jonesboro since 2019 so through this whole stretch of him winning and finishing in second he's never finished worse than that and the final round when he does win he shoots that low uh just because it was a lot windier and tougher conditions mm. you 
Did I miss anything? No. And, and you set us up, you teed us up for so much. So before we get into that topic, though, that topic, ratings, we've talked about it a few times now in the first 12, uh, 13 minutes now. Um, yeah, congratulations to Cat Merch. Um, you could tell this really meant something to her more than sometimes you see other players. And just purely by the celebration. Everyone's reaction to that is a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. I think some of my kids thought it was a little they they weren't ever they weren't used to that. It was a little strange celebration. <laughs> the screaming from deep <laughs> in your soul. Um, but that's good. Good for them and good for everybody else to see. Like this means a lot to somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, so congratulations to her. Uh, she performs well at this venue. She doesn't think it's a home field or home course or home state advantage. She doesn't she says she doesn't believe in that. Um, but I was I was I was really impressed. Incredible. We I don't know why we don't see her more often. Um, well, I mean, I know why we could, <laughs> the, yeah. the technicalities, but I mean, yeah. And the same for Haley King. We don't see her very mm -hmm. often lately, but we did this weekend and it was a tie going in playoff. And that's what we wanted. The excitement, unfortunately, fortunately for cat, but unfortunately the way it unfolded was kind of an errant shot by Haley. Um, but is what it is. Congratulations to cat. That's awesome for her, for her career. And Calvin will have him on in a little bit, so I'm not going to break down the kudos there much. We'll wait for him to come on. I just wanted to say, like, Cat Mersh definitely won it through many amazing shots throughout the weekend. I think that playoff will be – people will question what was going on. Again, the camera doesn't tell you everything. We don't know how obstructed uh, Haley King's lie was on that uh, playoff throw. Um, but it looked like, you know, an errant upshot. But Cat Mersh had – she was getting Eagles during the weekend. She on hole 14, which plays as a par four, I believe for the, uh, for the women, she went a full bombing flex shot that just absolutely parked the hole for the Eagle, which was one of the coolest shots I've seen from any woman in a long time. Like that was so cool. And I love that hole first of all. Uh, and, and so she definitely went out there and won it uh, for a, a weekend that many could say with Tatar not playing well. And some of the bigger names down the leaderboard that, it was a uh, new faces and maybe not as much getting going out to getting the win. I think she absolutely did though. Mm -hmm. So Ricky just texted me. What time am I joining? Oh, told you earlier. No, <laughs> he's going <laughs> he, to, he, he's been too relaxed on his uh, vacation, I guess is what we'll call it, but <clears throat> let's get into it. I'm going to give a little, spiel on ratings here and then i'm going to open it up to everybody here that wants to talk about it here we go chat you excited about this because i know i am robbie c in the chat i think robbie has a case for ratings as well but we'll see let's go so first of all players care about round ratings absolutely i think they also care about their their player rating maybe more than they should and unfortunately it might have more effect on them than it should but I want to talk round ratings. James Conrad, you already mentioned this, Nick. He cares about the round rating here. He has said, I hope it doesn't go down to 1099 when it goes official. Yeah, he might not be putting a lot in the basket there. He may be saying that just tongue in cheek, a little fun with it, right? Mm -hmm. To say, hey, I don't want it to go down. But you know what? Other players, Jeremy Colling, he's been going out on social media, making this post as of late a few times. That rating is way lower than it deserves, blah, 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 blah. They care about what their rounds are rated. You could get rid of that and say, hey, I shot 17 down, and that's great. 
But it is hard, unless you know all the courses in the world or on tour very well, it is hard to compare that. Uh, for instance, in studio, uh, Terry Miller on DGN asked both the Nates, Nate, do you remember the time you almost shot an 1100 rated round? You know what that allows them to do is say, yes, I do remember a time where I shot a round that was almost the same equivalent. It was almost the same skill and quality to get there. Now, if he had said, do you remember a time you shot 17 down? They're going to go in their heads to some park course or some uh, league that they played and be like, yeah, I've shot 18 on a course like that or 17 here. There's no way to compare the quality of that round without some form of rating. Some say they don't care. They'll say, hey, the round being 17 down on a hard course is what matters. And I agree that is what matters, but the ratings are a way for us to compare. It's, it's, there are going to be some who argue that it is skewed a little bit. Uh, and I would say, even after talking, we have an interview with Chuck Kennedy. Go back and check it out. It's one of our first 10 episodes, I think. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is some error in there, but I'm not convinced the error is more than maybe what would be eight to 10 points in a round. I don't think it's skewing much more than that. So if it's 1101, maybe it should be 1110, maybe. But the point here is it's close and it's a way for us to compare. Uh, they're able to do that again by using ratings. Um, I think if you're comparing, saying that 17 down um, at Jonesboro, is equivalent round of 14 down at Fountain Hills and saying that's a problem because which one's way harder, Jonesboro? Well, you in what conditions? What field are we talking about? It comes down to a lot. Is it raining? Is it windy? Which way is the wind going? Is it a tailwind or headwind on certain holes? The courses play different. That's why you need ratings to compare how hard it was. If 14 down on Fountain Hills is rated 1101, and for, and 17 down at Jonesboro was rated 1101, then you know the skill that it took to do that was about the same in the conditions that they were played. Again, it may be off five points, eight points, 10 points, but you're pretty close, and it's a way to compare the difficulty between those rounds. Uh, for one last, one last point here. If I say 1,020 golf isn't making the cash line, that tells you, Nick, really quick, Evan, really quick, significantly more then if I said, hey, guys, 15 down total at these events isn't making the cash line. And you'd be like, well, you'd go which course? Because mm -hmm. 15 down doesn't tell you anything. And people are trying to make it more about the shooting under par. But we need an easier way to be able to tell the quality of that round. That's all I'm saying. I think it's an interesting thing. Um, I'm not talking about player ratings. Again, I'll close out by saying that player ratings are different. I don't know that we need them. And I think that's a whole nother conversation, but round ratings, I think they're spectacular. What do you think, Nick or Evan? I'll let you go ahead, Evan. If you got, Oh whatever. boy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot yeah. of different things that we can, we can we talk have five about. minutes till Calvin yeah. comes on. Okay. I'll speed it up then. Um, I, I think round ratings and player ratings are fantastic. I think one, they're especially great for amateurs. That's of course not the, exact conversation we're having here tending towards pros i understand a lot of the criti criticism towards it i think one kind of counterpoint i want to make to a lot of criticism is people always like to bring in the memorial and being like hey the, the memorial coughs up 1100 round ratings like nothing so it uh, uh 
diminishes the meaning of that term and and the accomplishment. Um, and, and that's a fair point. I get it that memorial is tough, but you can't directly compare the memorial, which is an outlier that we are emitting, uh, to all these. You can't be like, well, what did Calvin Heiberg? What would this have been at the memorial? If that's an outlier, we got to treat it as an outlier and stop comparing it as such. I think what we got to do is compare uh, this Calvin, or, sorry, excuse me, this James Conrad round to other notable rounds of recent memory. I mean, we can compare it to Paul Macbeth at Champions Cup last year. We can compare it to Joel Freeman at Butler County last year. Both were f- phenomenal rounds that people thought should have been 1100 rated rounds, but weren't. Um, I think those are, are valid um, talking points that we should get into. But I think also what's really notable about this round being 1100 rated um, is there's not a ton of out of bounds on this course. And not that out of bounds immediately makes round ratings higher, um, but it adds more scoring separation, which does make round ratings higher. And so I think the fact that James Conrad did this is really, really uh, notable. And the fact that he cleared the field by four strokes, yeah, it was playing easy, but clearing the entire field at an elite event by four strokes is absolutely incredible. And this is an accomplishment. I wish I could calculate this a little bit faster, but all I got right now is just by player. I pulled up Paul Macbeth, checked out all the times that he beat the entire field by four or more strokes at an elite or major. The last time he did this was 2021 USDGC. And the last time before that was 2018 at Deglo, which was the 18 down round, um, where he actually cleared the field by seven strokes, which is unreal. Um, but Paul Macbeth hasn't done this anytime recently. And I know Paul Macbeth's having a, a little bit of down year. That's a separate, separate, separate topic right now. Uh, but he has clearly has been dominant as of late, and he has barely ever done this. So I think that makes it a really, truly notable round. And I hope it stays 1100 because I think it uh, deserves to live on in history as one of the great rounds. Yeah, you you brought up OB, and I think OB is a fantastic point to to show you that the ceiling of ratings can increase. The ceiling can increase because it, the course is technically a lot harder, um, but you still have to shoot the round to get the rating. But it does allow the ceiling to increase. What do you think, Nick? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of the conversation that we've had so many times before. Here but... it is again. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Which I I think it's a fun conversation to have just with anyone in general, but um. I guess my kind of take on it is we're so infatuated with this round just barely squeaking above 1100 that we're not taking into effect that it was 17 down. So let's say ratings weren't existent. Everyone would say, oh my gosh, James Carmrad just went out and shot 17 down, just shot almost, you know, uh, 18 down at one of the elite series courses, beat the field, beat the field by four. I mean, there are so many different things that we could talk about, but we're so kind of headstrong on what I would say is a very flawed rating system. I think there's too many different propagators. This course doesn't have as much OB as a course like Fountain Hills does. Um, 2018 D-Glow that Paul played his 18 down at didn't have as much OB as the D-Glow that we play nowadays does. And so the propagators are different. I mean, if Paul goes or James or Ricky or whoever shoots 18 down at the D-Glow that we have nowadays, it'll rate better than more than likely than what the um, 18 down in 2018 rated. So... I just think there's too many propagators. Plus, it's also nowadays on the Elite Series events, it's also harder to rate because the skill of players and the ratings that the players bring with their own propagators, these players being a propagator, is so much higher than what it was back in 2018, 2019, 2015, 2013, you know, 2012 even, you know, since kind of the inception of these 1100 rated rounds that we see more frequently. Um, it, it's just a completely different field that James is playing nowadays compared to what the players were playing 10 years ago. So if anything, it's harder to shoot 1100 rated now, which makes it 
all the more impressive for a player to go out and shoot an 1100 right around. And I think that's a benchmark. If you can say, you know, how many players you can, there's not that many of them who can actually say they've shot an 1100 rated round. But I, I just think that there's too many outliers. There's too many propagators for the system to work, you know, perfectly. If, if I was to make a rating system, I would make a course be the rating. So on a perfect condition day, Jones gold or Jones, you know, Jones, excuse me, Jonesboro, their gold level layout, let's say even par is a thousand rated. So every single stroke is plus or minus that, whether you're over par or under par, I think that's better than having every single But then when it's raining and the wind is so 30 the mile an hour in yeah. your face, you're, you're going to, someone shoots 18 down, then you're like, mm -hmm. I just, but that now, was way better than a perfect day. Exactly. But now that's, you know, fewer propagators that the system has to account for. Then you've got players ranging from 1048 rated down to, let's say, 998 rated. Um, and 10 years ago, players were 930 rated playing in Elite Series events. And those players are going out and they're throwing OB 10 times more than, mm -hmm. you know, another great player. Like for me, when I went to Ledgestone in 2017, I shot plus 20, plus 30 or plus 40, whatever it was by the end of the tournament. So if anything, I'm helping out pros with their rating. I'm, one, I'm donating money, and two, I'm helping out their rating because I am playing so bad that the, it helps them when they play a good round. So I, yeah, I just because think there's it's too based many... off of your rating, yep. which says What's how up? good you are, which says mm -hmm. when you're playing a certain level, it says how hard the course is. It, I'm yeah. saying when you came in and you said it's a very flawed rating system, I I don't agree with that. I think it's flawed by, like I said, maybe ten points around. Which, if we're saying someone has 1101 and someone says they have 1111, in my mind, that might be a difference between a record and not. But to me, I'm going, dude, anything that's within 10 points of 1100 is fantastic. Like, I agree. You can't pinpoint it down to 1101 or 1102 is that much better. Like, don't do that. That That's foolish. Yeah. But, um, I think it's just, and this is kind of my last little spiel on it. Um, for me, I, th I think ratings, in a sense, take away so much from a tournament. Um, where in the sense of, you know, Calvin just went, what, 1070, 1070, 1037 to win an event. Calvin, I think at this point in his career, maybe he does care about the ratings. We can talk to him a little bit about it. But I think really that all that matters for these pros nowadays is just getting the win in general. Like I just played a C tier this past weekend. I averaged 1030 at it. It could have been a 1010 rated round or, or 1010 rated tournament or a 1080 rated tournament. And to me, it, it doesn't really matter at this point. Because all I care about is the win. To you, it I, I don't care if I win by one. I don't care about you know if I win by ten. But I, I think a majority of the pros, if if you were to take away every single pro's rating and just give them a ranking system, yes, I think totally that would be so mind. much better for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I, I think ratings just take away too much. Like James Conrad just shot an incredible round. It was absolutely filthy. People can talk about how maybe the course needs to be tightened up a little bit. Maybe sixteen should be a par four, not a par five. You can talk about that in different topics. But at the same time, James Conrad, on great conditions, went out and filleted the course. Absolutely. Whether it rated 1075 or 1125, I personally don't think it should matter because he went out and he beat the field by four at an Elite Series event, especially in 2023. That's It's not happening very often. It doesn't matter, Nick. It yeah. doesn't. But for conversation, yeah. we've said this for, for conversation, years, fact, yeah. it allows yeah. us to compare. It allows us to say how good something was if you don't know. Um, when Ben comes back from this tournament he just had last week, and I know he's an am, but he goes, I shot a 980 round. 
Like I have zero idea about the course. I've never been there. It tells me and it tells you that that was decent for Ben, at least for at me. The very for least. Sure. And, mm-hmm. and Nick, when you say you just averaged whatever at around, that tells me how you're doing. If you had said, Matt, I shot 21 under and I won an event. I'd say, good job, Nick. I would say, good I job. Mean, I'd be proud of you. But like for yeah. you to say what you shot, I'm going, dang, I'm going to talk to Ben after and go, Nick's averaging pretty high ratings. Like it yeah, matters. I mean, realistically, though, if I if I went up to you and said, hey, you know, Matt, I won by eight strokes or, oh, yeah, I averaged 1030 on the day. I would say, like, what? yeah, I would say, who's the field? Are you playing against kids who are brand new? I'd say, is the course easy? Like if I hear a rating, it yeah. tells me that right away. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got you. We and, got and, Calvin yeah, in the that makes sense. Room. <laughs> bring him on in. We would go. We would go on this topic yeah. all night. We'll bring. <laughs> screw it. We'll bring Calvin into this conversation too. No, not yet. Not yet. All right. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. Calvin Heimberg. Uh, Calvin Heimberg, dude. It looks like you've been uh, not driving all day. You look awesome, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I have been driving all day, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I I'm have. actually in Emporia right now. Oddly Come enough, on. I made it. Yeah, I'm I'm parked uh, whatever outside of Starbucks in Emporia. Nice. Wow, nice. good. What old are you Emporia. doing out in Emporia? Yep. Is um what are you is the GBO just finished? That's I think what was happening this weekend there, right? Do you know? Maybe. Is, uh, uh, what in Emporia? Yeah, I thought I GBO. No I don't know. Yeah, either. they they brought back their essentially what the DDO is, except for non okay. uh touring Sorry. pros. Sorry, well, I, there isn't there is a pro division, but it's like more of a local big A tier, kind of what the roots of it used to be. And that happened recently. I don't know if it's this weekend. though. OK, Matt. no, I, th- I don't know. Maybe I'm way off, but we're not here to talk about that. He just said he was in Emporia. Congratulations on this win. Calvin, let me get it out of the way quick. Uh, I picked you again this week. So so good job. <laughs> Thanks for coming through. Thanks for coming through. This Thanks is, for believing in me. You know? This is the year We've come of me. A long way. Come, yes. Yeah, I was going to say a couple of years ago, Down Matt would have been like, Calvin can't win anything. And now he's just like every single week. It's, you know, it's very easy to predict who <laughs> Matt or Ben are going to pick because it's usually Gannon Burr and Cap Merch. And yep. Matt is just right off the rip. Calvin Heimberg, Calvin Heimberg, Calvin Heimberg. So, no, I haven't picked him every week. <laughs> I pick him when I think he's due to win. It is the year of Calvin winning. Um, Congratulations, man. Uh, Jonesboro is apparently, I don't know how else to say it, but whatever. It's, it's your course. <laughs> it's your course, man. Um, yeah. what were, so what were the rounds like without wind there? Is that accurate? I mean, we weren't there, but everyone was talking about how calm and perfect it was. What was that like? Yeah, it was uh, super abnormal. Um, the first two rounds were, it was literally like dead calm out there. Uh, like, I don't know if I've ever played any rounds where there was no wind out there so so for the rounds to be as uh calm as they were uh, allowed us to score really well uh and you saw that as a whole from the entire field so um you know a lot of people put down a lot of great scores we saw james put down a 17 down and uh, normally that's just not possible out there normally it's just way too windy so uh the first two days were perfect uh unlike any other tournament I've ever played there. And then um, the final day we got, you know, some normal wind out there. Mm. You brought up James in the um, abnormally like lacking wind round. Um, 17 down. How would you describe that in a few words? Like what is a 17 down on that day? Like if you were to do it. 
Uh, nearly perfect. I would say, like, out there on that course, 19 down would probably be, like, Ooh. a perfectly thrown round. Um, like, I mean, that the 16th is a kind of a softer par 5, and especially in no wind, it's, like, really attackable. So, I would say if you're playing perfect, it would be 19 out there. The 17 that he put down is incredible. Um, you know, like, actually doing it is really impressive, so... Yeah. Uh, congrats to them on that. I mean, it was a great round that bumped him like way up the leaderboard from, I'm not sure exactly what card he was on, but he bumped all the way up the lead card. So I want to say it was like uh, seventh card or something, but yeah, he made a really big move. Yeah. Cause I think he, he would have been eight down the first round and then 17, the second mm. round. So he made a big jump. Let, let me ask this. Um, not to, you you already said this. You said the fact that he actually did it. That's obviously a hypothetical. You said 19 is perfect and then 17 is great. And then to actually do it is incredible um, because we can talk about it all day. So, But I'm going to let you talk about something here. You shot 13 down two rounds in a row. The, like You as a player know the mistakes you made and things that you wish you had done differently. What do you think your round could have, should have, would have been on that same day? Because you shot 13. Do you think you missed four strokes out there pretty easily? Um, I don't, I don't know if that same day, if I like really left anything out there, okay. I, I can't, I don't, I don't, the only time I would say I like left something out there is if I like missed a short putt mm -hmm. or, you know, really messed up like a pretty easy approach or something along those lines. So I'm not sure I, I would say I, I left anything out there. Um, I okay. mean, in those conditions, every hole is very attackable. So, you I mean I could say I left like six <laughs> out there, but but like that's what I'm saying. I mean, realistically, like like going back and thinking about it, um, like I think like the the probably like the shot I'd probably want back the most is maybe my approach on like the whole seventeen. Mm. But other than that, like I think as a whole, you know, the holes I didn't get, I probably just didn't quite quite throw well enough. Last question from me, Nick. Um, mm -hmm. Calvin, do you feel like? Eleven hole one is a good rating for seventeen down. Um, like your initial gut, does it like? I know you're not the pro with the ratings, but like, does it feel good to you? <laughs> like, is it close? I mean, I would feel I would feel great if someone told me I shot eleven hundred right around. I've never done it, so like, that'd be that'd be sweet. But um, okay, yeah, I I don't know. Like, I I kind of just I'm not like a huge fan of the ratings. I don't. I don't, I don't see it really being that useful of a metric once we get to like the upper end of the sport. So like, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's like, obviously you shot a great round. It was 17 under on a pro tour layout. So mm -hmm. I don't know if like, we really need to harp too much on what the rating algorithm was. He shot 17 down on a course that's on the pro tour. Exactly. That's so weird, Matt. That's almost exactly what I was just saying. But he five did say, ago. Nick, you and I can argue about this, but he's he's here to be interviewed. He did say yeah. he would be happy to hear he shot eleven oh one. So there you go. Uh, what do you got yeah. for Calvin? <laughs> but if if ratings weren't a thing, he wouldn't care whether it was eleven hundred. The only reason he cares go. is because ratings are a thing right go. now. Ask Anyways, go. Calvin, ask. talk to us. Talk to us realistically though. But the last round, the wind had picked up. The weather definitely shifted a little bit more. You and Eagle are in a tight back and forth battle. Throughout the whole round, you go back-to-back -back bogeys, and then he takes a double bogey on what some would consider an easy hole. Just kind of talk to us about the mindset going into that final round and then playing throughout that final round. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty close. Eagle and I were tired going in the final round, and James was, I think, one back. Corey was two. Kyle Klein might have been three. So there's still, like, a handful of people well within striking range. The And the wind was up. So, like, definitely opportunities to, you know, separate from the field more if you were throwing the disc well. Um, but uh, also nobody got to really practice in any wind that week. It was a really calm week as far as weather even went on the practice day. So everyone was kind of going out there blind and having to kind of improvise off of their original game plans. And the wind out there is kind of swirly, so it can be a little difficult to to always predict what what's going to happen with your disc. But I went into the round knowing I wanted to play aggressive. I wanted to um, go for things and kind of like, you know, kind of push things forward. Definitely bit me a couple of times early, you know, with those back-to-back bogeys. But I did get all those strokes back on, on hole six when Eagle double bogeyed. So all those strokes back, um, you know, was kind of a, a gift there. Um, but, yeah, we were neck and neck. No one really played outstanding, I would say. It was windy, but, like, even with it being that windy, I wouldn't say either of us would have were that satisfied. Like, I, I five down isn't really that impressive in that wind, especially seeing as how well we were playing earlier in the week. So, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, it was close coming down the stretch, and uh, – you know, it's kind of where you want to be. You want to be in contention coming down the final stretch. And I was able to, you know, execute a few shots in key moments and uh, mm. come away with the win. Mm-hmm. I th- and I talk think... to us just a little bit about, is there a sense of relief when you watch a player on the 18th hole, you guys are tied going into it. Is there a sense of relief when that player throws OB or doesn't throw an ideal shot? 18 is a hole that you've had numerous success on over the last few years um just kind of talk to us about the 18th hole and just kind of the mindset from the t-pad all the way to the finish of it yeah the 18th at jonesboro is a um really difficult hole to birdie it's uh a longer par four with a pretty tight gap and then like you really have to attack either the left or the right side of the fairway you can't really be down the middle of the fairway if you want to be going for birdie so um, most people, if they want to play for birdie, they'll go out to that right side. Um, I've in the past, you know, thrown, thrown shots that flex back out to that left side, which is, I think probably even more preferable, but, um, I threw my shot and kind of overturned it, but ended up in that right side and, and Eagle had been throwing that, that hyzer shot, uh, over the top all week. I, I don't know if I'd ever seen anyone do it before, but. He executed it perfectly the first two rounds, just happened to throw it a little too far uh, the final round. I don't know if there was a little wind up there that kind of held it too straight or whatnot, but, you know, when he threw out of bounds, it it seemed pretty much uh, over to me. I mean, unless, like, they told us that there was some kind of crazy roll out of bounds when we went up there, but him throwing a hyzer over out of bounds the whole way, once it went out of bounds, it kind of, to me, felt like, you know, best-case scenario for him was going to be, like, a a five so uh and from where i was off the tee i i knew i was probably gonna have an easy par and then like if i really needed to there there definitely was a way to get birdie from where i landed Mm. um yeah i it was incredibly exciting in both fpo and mpo coming into that hole i want to go back a few more holes we're just going to ask you about your rounds 15 i think it's 15 is that the one downhill log the basket on the log 
Is that 15? That's 14. Okay. It's 14. 14. A much windier than the previous rounds. Eagle steps up, lasers it down there, pretty much bullseye. And then you have to come up yeah. and, and, and is, is his thought in your head or you, I would imagine it's not as a professional, but maybe it is. What, what are you thinking when you stepped up? Um, I'm thinking really just about my shot and how I'm going to do the same thing. Like I did just watch him base the hole, but, um, <laughs> if anything, you know, it's like, I got a little more information, you know, how the wind was reacting. I got to watch him and Corey throw the hole before I did, but, True. um, yeah, once I get up there, it's just trying to execute my game plan. I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. I'd been throwing that same disc. I just kind of pulled it a little the first two rounds. So it was just aim a little more to the left and um you know I, I put it right down there by the basket as well i don't know why but that just hit me as such a like it was humorous to me to hear you say he basted the hole so like as you're out there playing with incredible players and i'm sure the same for them vice versa you being an incredible player do you guys ever have those moments of you're like dang <laughs> that is an incredible shot does that go through your mind a lot during a round um it definitely it depends on the round i mean it definitely happens often um you know you watch people do pretty pretty crazy cool stuff all the time when you're out there playing um it's always cool like i know like when i play with eagle like i watch him do things that like i i can't i just like can't do like him and like people like barella who just throw like so incredibly far and um you play with them and you're just like i I don't even know what that next gear is like. So it's always, it's always cool to, uh, to play with people that do crazy stuff, whether it's just like crazy little hyzer flip lines in the woods or, you know, just like weird stalling backhands. It's always cool to watch how other people attack the course because everyone kind of has a different toolbox. Yeah. And I'm sure they're thinking, exactly. They're thinking the same when they play with you. Um, I think from a viewer's perspective, when we saw you step up after seeing what Eagle did, we're like, we're feeling the nerves, I think, in some weird way through you or other players that you want to do well. And it was just an amazing thing to watch you just back it right up, hole 14. That was just awesome. Um, yeah, I think you answered pretty well, 18, with him, um, with Eagle taking his drive over out of bounds the whole way. Is that a throw you could do? Or is that something where you feel like that's again another toolbox? That's something different. Is it is that is that throw beyond you? I have no clue. I've never I've never tried it. So okay. um, throwing like an over the top shot and then ha having it fade back between two clusters of trees, and um, yeah, it's just one of those things I've never practiced. I know he wasn't the only one throwing it during the event. Um, I think I know I, I stayed with Thomas Gilbert and he had talked about going that way. I think Jeremy Colling might also have been going that way, but uh, I don't know if they were throwing it quite as far down there or if they were like hydrating out into like the earlier clump of trees that was in bounds. Like I'm really not sure what their results were, but I know for Eagle, he was throwing it really well the first two rounds. I mean, he went birdie birdie on hole 18, the first two rounds. Um, I, I feel pretty comfortable going, going up that gap. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just not a shot I ever practiced. Were you surprised? Um, I think in your post-round interview, you made mention of, let's just say, an errant layup of sorts from Eagle. But were you surprised with all the 
miscues of shots throughout the the final round. Maybe it was maybe it was more in the back nine than anything, but like unexpected things happening where you're like, why, like, why did you just throw so far into the woods? Right. Or why did he lay his shot? Like, was it just the win? Were you surprised like by all the miscues? Yeah. I mean, I think some of it had to do with the wind. Um, like, I'm not sure exactly what happened to him in particular on, on 16. I mean, he still got a birdie out of it, but yeah. like, it was like a weird shot where it kind of just looked like he was between going straight and then turning it and then just like never really made up his mind and and then just like threw it. I got, I'm not exactly sure if like he wasn't sure because like he is more than capable of executing either one of those shots very well. It just was it was like a very weird thing to watch um, knowing, you know, how good Eagle is to just like essentially put it into the woods. Um, uh, but like for me at that moment, it didn't really matter. But yeah. I, I knew what I had to do, which was get over and maybe give myself a look. But, yeah, there were definitely a bunch of miscues. That, I mean, as I said, neither of us really played spectacular that final round. Most people didn't. I know there was a few people that shot shot well, but um, there was a lot of people kind of in the same score range, I feel like, you know. So we definitely did nothing spectacular that day. We did all of our work on the first two days, and um, I guess I'm, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think in turn, Ben might have a question for you. Hi, Calvin. Yes, I do. I'm dressed like cat merch, so don't. This is not, not normally how I am. But uh, now that you've had your third win, is it getting easier to win nerves wise, or do you still have that same like butterfly feeling on like the 16th, 17th hole? Um, if you can describe just kind of that that side of the game. Um, I honestly think there's less butterflies when you're chasing than when you're defending a lead so like i i like haven't really had that opportunity to where like it was i've really had a lead coming down the final stretch uh that was really close so i i don't i don't feel like coming down the stretch i've felt very many butterflies this season uh, in particular because like in vegas i was chasing kevin down and we were tied going into the last hole and I threw inbounds and he threw out of bounds, kind of similar to Jonesboro, basically. And um, in Houston, like it, it got a little closer there in the middle. But by the time I, we made it to the end of the round, I had like a pretty sizable lead. So I I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really I think like when it's when I'm most nervous is like when it feels like you have something more to lose rather than you're trying to chase down something. So. We'll see if I put myself, you know, in a close, close battle where I have the lead coming down the stretch. I think I might be a little more nervous there than, than I have been in the situations that I put myself in so far this year. Well, I think Evan was saying earlier that this is your largest margin of victory at an elite series event. Am I correct to say that, Evan? Yes. Okay. So largest margin of victory at an elite series event, three strokes coming down, you know, to the you know, what do you call it? The 54th hole coming down to it where you were tied going into it. Um, so I definitely get the take where you're saying it's kind of, you know, easy to not have the butterflies when you're chasing down something. Uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is just about your season in general right now. You've got numerous wins. You've got numerous third places, a fourth place, and one finish outside the top 10, which was at the major Becca Champions Cup. Can you guys kind of give us a little bit of insight on what was going on at Champions Cup? Uh, yeah, I mean, I felt 
pretty good going into the week. Um, and then I threw the disc really well off the tee. I just didn't really execute my approaches. And then the putter wasn't um, quite as sharp as it had been the rest of the season. So uh, just not getting getting the putter in the basket was probably a pretty big thing. And then just not throwing approaches uh, as well as I should have been, you know, making my putts a little longer than they should have been out on that course definitely cost me a lot of strokes. So um, throwing off the tee felt great. I think I, I threw the disc very well out there as far as tee shots went. It was just second shots on par fours and then putting the putter in the basket. All right. Um, disc currently and other ranking systems have you as number one. I heard you asked, I think it was the press conference going into Champions Cup, how you felt about that. And you said, hey, I can't do the impression as good as Ben Calloway. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, you know, you this is where you're at. Like, what do you think coming into this event? And you said, like, hey, I don't think any of that matters. I could probably actually I have the recording somewhere. But what do you think now? This is not pre-event. This is not asking how you're going to do at your next event. Like, how, what do you feel? What are you taking away from the fact that these ranking systems have you as number one right now? I mean, it's cool. I, 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 I don't know. I, there's just in this current state of disc golf, I don't know if there's really like that much incentive to be number one. Like it doesn't change anything that I'm doing. Like I still have to go out and, you know, prep for the next tournament the same way I would, whether I was number one or number five or 10 mm -hmm. or 20 or whatever. So I don't know. I'm, I don't put too much weight on it. I feel like, you know, a lot of that stuff is probably more important, you know, coming down the end of the season, we're still kind of in the first half of the year. So, um, I mean, it's definitely cool. It's definitely showing that I'm playing really well so far this year. And, um, you know, that's, that's really good for me, but I, I don't, it's not something I'm really dwelling on or thinking too much about. It's, uh, I don't know. I guess it's something more that you guys talk about. And if you go on like the morning news or whatever, you know, good morning America, you can go in or they can, they can say, Hey, number one ranked player in the world. So I think for endorsements and things of that nature and, and marketing, like it could be used, but to your point, that's not what you're doing in and out day, week in and week out. So yeah, cool. Good answer. Um, um yeah, I go mean, ahead, Nick. I was gonna say, talk to us a little bit. Just you know, in the 2022 season, you had two big wins that year, uh, Jonesboro, which you just won again, and then the Great Lakes Open. You're already past the two wins this year. You're on number three right now with your win at Jonesboro this past weekend. What what changed between 2022 and 2023? What was your off season like? Like what kind of elevated this next fire in your play? Um well, I mean, I, first off, I would say I've like, I really only have two wins. Like, I, I, I don't think the Silver Series count for anywhere close to as much. So, okay. we'll, well, maybe we'll call it two and a half or something, there just you go. to be fair, which is still more than two. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think I think uh, really last off season was a little more relaxed than the prior one. The prior off season, I I bought a van and built it out and. I might have procrastinated a little bit. So the end of that off season was spent being a carpenter and an electrician and a plumber here building <laughs> out a van. Um, and a little less time was spent actually preparing for the season. So I just don't think I was quite as sharp um, at the beginning of the season. And 
um that kind of comp compounds as you like go out on the road it's pretty tough to like once you're like in the grind of a season it's pretty tough to like actually really like work and sharpen a lot of skills because a lot of times you're just going out to a course learning the course and then you're showing off what your skills currently are it's like you really have to it's really tough to put aside enough time to actually like resharpen skills that are a little dull so i would say just like being able to practice a little more prior to you know the actual season starting definitely helps uh kickstart this season um and i think in general i generally start start the years uh pretty well i as far as like a, a general statement about how i generally play so um yeah i think it's just playing a little more and you know this so far this year the putter has been uh a little bit better and you know just when you're trying to compete for a win you know a couple strokes going into the final round makes a pretty big difference you know being like four back as opposed to two back or like winning by one as opposed to being back two or something it, it all adds mm -hmm. up and those little tiny differences do do make a pretty big difference when it comes down to the last few holes of an event if something is feeling off at a specific tournament are you focused more on that going leading up to the next tournament i know you're talking about how you have to practice the course kind of fine-tune your skills on the course and learn it from any changes from last year but how are you practicing mid-season to kind of sharpen up other skills that may have been off the weekend prior going from champions cup to jonesboro yeah so so putting was one thing that I, I said about champions cup that was off and that's probably the easiest thing to sit down and practice because we're constantly around baskets and it's just a matter of setting aside enough time to to get that feeling of confidence back so Putting's a pretty easy one to fix, but like sharpening other skills when you're on the road is a little tougher because I do think it's probably more important to go out there and learn how to play the course that you're you're playing for the tournament than it is to like, you know, go out and practice whatever forehand yeah. putters or whatever. It might be something that that might shave like one stroke off your round or every other round or something, but like learning the course is going to help you more as far as that event goes. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like putting's an easy fix. You really have to dedicate yourself and put, put aside quite a bit of time if you want to like sharpen other throwing skills while you're on the road. If you could give kind of one putting tip to everyone listening right now, what would your tip be? <laughs> mm. Well, what worked for you at Jonesboro? What tip worked for you? Because yeah. you were hitting putts, man um yeah i i don't know it's it's all just about uh creating when you're going your practice putting if you can just try to imitate that same mental state when you're out there on the course if you can rep because like i don't know a lot of people make all their putts in practice and then they get out on the course and they just they can't get in that same zone so it's like trying to find ways to latch on to to that mentality and just like that that mental headspace that you're in on the practice screen when you're at home on your own basket when you're out in the tournament and just kind of forgetting you're at the tournament so if you can just kind of i don't know find a way to zone out where you are and put yourself somewhere where you're more comfortable did you hear that intern ben yes same mentality for practice you, basket as the course so thank, thank you calvin i'll i will put that in effect <laughs> I, I i've also been doing this on my couch thanks to your end of a commercial 
flicking okay. it up in the air. Yeah, getting that, getting that pop. Getting I was wondering pop. if Calvin was going to say that as his answer. Be like, oh, we'll check out the commercial that I have. You I know? wonder how many people yeah. are doing that because I was on the course yeah. popping it up too. It's all about <laughs> the practice. Yeah. Um, that um, what definitely are... helps. It does. Okay. It definitely helps. That's, uh, that's how I got. I figured, I don't know. That's what I was doing when I was like a, in middle school and was just sitting at home on the couch or whatever when I couldn't be outside. You hear that? Doing... Gotcha. To my boys, <clears throat> they watch the show upstairs above me. Yeah. They... So I should look up. You hear that, boys, when you're sitting on the couch? Get out the putter. You're about to hear discs start hitting the floor when they <laughs> miss the catch. Just pop, pop, pop. Dust is like falling down on me. Yeah. <laughs> Calvin, uh, last question for me for a second. Um, the the rest of the majors coming up through the year, which one do you feel like suits you the most? We have obviously the World Championships in Vermont, the European Open, and then the USDGC. Which one do you kind of feel like suits you the most? Um, I would probably say, hmm, that's tough. I would say I, I've probably had like USDGC is a weird one because like if you're off a little, like you're just going to plummet down the leaderboard off a little there just means you're out of bounds a lot and you plummet. But I think I've had more success there than either the, the other two tournaments. Um, worlds at uh, smugglers notch. I definitely think I have a pretty good chance at, I'm really comfortable out on both of those courses, but so are a lot of people. So I think, It'll be a pretty exciting world. I think there's going to be quite a few people in contention coming down the end because it kind of is a test of, of all skills, and it'll be interesting to see who's firing off that week. But I, I think um, if I – and then European Open, I've only played once, so mm -hmm. least amount of experience there. But I would probably say USDGC. If I had to pick one that I felt most comfortable at, um, it would probably be USDGC out of the, the remaining three. Okay. I have the record, two podiums at USDGC, um, and at Green Mountain, you've had three top tens. So, and the top ten at European Open last year. So, I mean, graded all of them just to round it out, give some context to everyone. Okay. Yeah, but top ten at European Open, but like twenty strokes back or something like that. <laughs> Fair enough. I Fair enough. I had three questions. One came from Hannah McBeth in the chat. One that I was going to ask and then last question, but we're going to go with Hannah McBeth because the time's running out here. She said, please ask Calvin who he's most looking forward to seeing on the red carpet at tonight's Met Gala. I don't know. That's from Hannah McBeth. Um, well, I uh, wasn't aware that <laughs> the Met Gala was happening tonight. Um, you weren't invited? I'm not even sure who, who's... In. No, I wasn't invited. Uh I must have missed the invitation in the mail or something. <laughs> okay. Um, and then just say Dua Lipa. I think she's one of them. Or Roger Federer. They might be one of them. So <laughs> you can just pick one of those. There you go. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's see Roger. You know, Let's he's a it. legend. Last question. <clears throat> um, what do you listen to driving down the road? You know, all these hours of driving. Podcasts, audiobooks, music. What kind of guy are you? It kind of depends on the mood. Could be a little bit of anything, you know. Sometimes I just have TV shows playing in the background, you know, to yeah, more audio than anything. But um, yeah, I mean, there's also a lot of phone calls going on. Um, I definitely use talking on the phone quite a bit. It's a good way to kill quite a bit of time. But yeah, it's kind of just depending on the mood. I feel like music kind of gets old after a while. <laughs> So does the podcast. I mean, kind of everything does, especially when we have these long cross-country drives. So 
kind of got to cycle through them all and um, mix it up so you don't drive yourself crazy I, because <laughs> I, it's literally 30 hours between Jonesboro and Stockton, California. And just to follow up to that, you said you have to cycle through everything. Are there periods of time where the windows just get rolled down and you're just like just blowing like that? No. Um, no, I don't think I roll down the windows too much driving this van. Okay. It'd be a pretty noisy experience, but, uh, <laughs> there are, there are moments of just pure silence, you know? Um, oh, and, you know, man. those are nice too. What would that be like? Everyone in the chat, everyone listening, uh, post this week, sitting in a van quietly with Calvin Heinberg for hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you so much for coming on. Um, we knew it would happen again. It just took a little bit for me to pick you again. No, that's not right. I picked yeah. you a Champions Cup. You failed me. I'm sorry. But. Yeah, I, I let you down. I, I'm glad you, you know, you came back the next week and were like, he's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna bounce back. So, exactly. I appreciate you believing in me despite my shortcomings. Um, I feel like you know. I'm just glad you don't hate me anymore. So. I know, man. It, it's 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 you know, <laughs> Nick loved that. It's the chat loves that. They're like, <laughs> what they say earlier in the chat. They said something like, Matt should have like deep down spot for Calvin in his heart or something. I don't know, but we are happy to have you on here. Uh, great yeah. guest as always. Uh, we totally appreciate it. And um, unless you have anything that we missed or you want to talk about, we're gonna let you go and and do what you need to do for the evening. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm good. I thank y'all for having me and thanks everyone for all the support. Totally. Don't awesome. forget to keep supporting Calvin Heinberg, your Jonesboro open champion. Uh, have fun in your off week and then good luck to you at OTB. Maybe Matt will pick you there as well. <laughs> yeah. I got to think about that so. one. All right. Peace out. Appreciate Take it easy, Calvin. Sorry, everybody. That was uh, Calvin Heinberg. You're hearing me cough every now and then just getting over a cold. I apologize. It's not nice to talk into a microphone and cough at the same time. Yeah, definitely not. Fun. Well, Nick, whether or not you know it or not, we do have someone else in the green room already lined up. So mm-hmm. I think without I further ado, we should bring him in. Everyone may know him. I don't think they've forgotten yet. Let's bring him in. Ricky Wysocki, everybody. This is the guy who we haven't seen on the leaderboards lately, but here he is on the Nick and Mash show. What's up, man? How's it going? Good. It's going good. Um, we saw that you've been in Florida for a little while. Have you moved along, or are you still down there? Yeah, I went to Florida to get a test uh, and be able to do some blood. Hold, hold on, yeah, one hold second. on one second, Ricky. There, You're cutting out every other word. There's something weird going on with like it. An equalizer on his. Voice. It's it's like it wants to hear a voice, then it like cuts it down. You sound it, like this. Yeah. I, but, <laughs> I, 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 I was. It, Ricky, try canceling out, exiting out, and then coming back. I don't into know if that's room. it or not. It's funny. Take a time. It's everyone. Knows. I wonder what that is. Yeah. That was anything. A he's weird. probably got a pair of AirPods. <clears throat> yeah. If he has AirPods, that'd be great. But, um, well, we just lose Nick. What? What? No. Oh, we lost <laughs> Nick too. <laughs> what? It, no, the, hold on. Give it a second. I'll, I'll be oh, back okay, in a second. He's back. We're yeah. ready for anything. My, if, yeah, I don't know why my internet does that. Every, about every 15 minutes or so, my internet just cuts out. Let's see if Ricky's back for good. Seconds. If he's not, as in the audio is weird, what's up, Ricky? Uh, how's it going? Oh, there, there we go. go. That sounded right. good. Wow. All right. So, 
Is that still doing it? No, it's nope. not. It's oh, not. not. It's yet. um, it's working, and you sound better than ever. You look better than okay. ever. I don't. I mean, I don't know what I mean by that, but here you are. Excited, <laughs> and I had every other word coming in. There yeah. we go. Now we so, can understand you completely. So you That's heard okay. my question. You, you were in Florida for a while. Are you still down there? Have you moved on? Yeah. So I uh, I went to initially to um, to Houston uh, to actually it was it was actually weird timing. I went to Houston during Texas States to get some treatment done. And that was when Texas States was there. And so it was just weird timing. I was in I was in Houston when Texas States was there. And I was uh, seeing a chiropractic buddy of mine that uh, I, I was doing a bunch of treatment with him. And, and so I was in Houston for that. And then I went to Florida. Uh, there was supposed to be a, a world-renowned uh, health center that's really supposed to be really good at treating Lyme disease. And so I went down there. I did a bunch of testing, like blood tests. I did saliva tests, all kinds of stuff like that. So... I'm currently waiting on the test for that uh, because a lot of people that get Lyme disease, they also get the ticks, give them also co-infections, which are basically other infections that come along with Lyme disease that make it that much harder to treat. Mm. So, so it's just a complicated case, unfortunately, and it's uh, not, not um, as easy to do, to really treat it once you have a lot of co-infections and also everything with it. Um, so I'm waiting for the test to come back. I'm doing uh, doing treatments in the meantime. Also, I'm doing like four or five different things. Um, I've already done like two cycles of antibiotics. Unfortunately, those didn't really work. So I'm kind of going a different route and trying to t- trying to go that way. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a complicated, such a complicated disease, and um, it's such it's so different for everybody that gets it. You know, I think that some people can get it and knock it out quick. And some people can get it and they can go blind for six or seven mm. years. So, I mean, it's just, it's some people, it's the Lyme goes into their, into their neurological system and they, and they start having like their face paralysis and, and yeah, it's luckily I haven't had that, uh, but it's affecting my joints obviously, which is a total bummer. And it's just, what it does is just kind of the Lyme spirochetes they're called. I feel like I'm turning into a, a friggin' <laughs> Looking at all these different, my saliva under a microscope. I, I see all this, all these, uh, all these people sending me back tests of like my, my, uh, like my saliva under a microscope and all these crazy spirochete things uh, going around and like, yeah, here's a spirochete. That's what causes Lyme disease and all this stuff. So I've just educated myself. I feel like over the last, you know, a couple months, just so much education on Lyme disease and how to treat it. And, you know, it's, it's just a very elusive thing that not like even, a lot of the world renowned doctors, you know, aren't, you know, necessarily a hundred percent at treating people. You know, some people get treated and some people don't. I think that, like I said, some people react good to antibiotics. Some people don't. And I seem like I'm under the category of people that really don't react to them. And it didn't, didn't really help me. So, um, yeah, I'm going to get to the bottom of it, but it's just a long process and it's very, it's, you know, it's definitely, definitely depressing because I feel like I've never been in better shape as far as, you know, muscle wise and, you know, stretching and just doing everything I can to keep my body healthy. But, you know, it's, it's just, there's nothing you can, it's, it's completely out of my control, which is super frustrating, not knowing when it's going to flare up and not knowing when it's going to go away. That was kind of going to be one of my questions is what's kind of the horizon look like? What's the future looking like tournament wise? Do you have any sort of game plan over the next few weeks or the next few months even? Yeah. I mean, like I can, like I played as you guys probably, I saw, I played Nashville, um, but it was just, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't even, I wasn't even close to a hundred percent. I was just kind of like out there scrapping around. I got eighth place, which is okay for considering what, you know, my health, not like having full mobility in your wrist, 
you know, mm -hmm. that was that was pretty good for me. And um, but I just I don't want to go out there and just you know go out there just to play. You know, I'm I'm, I'm at the point in my career where I want to. If I don't think I can win, I'm not. I don't want to go. And so, I um, yeah, I just you know I don't want to go through the motions and just just play a tournament just to get a good finish. You know, I want to I want to go to a tournament when I feel like I have a chance and I feel like I can win. And I think that I'm just going to kind of wait for that. And, you know, like I said, I'm probably 70 or 80% wrist mobility right now. Um, but like I said, I'm just going to wait till I'm hundred percent. And I, you know, I have, I, I have a chance to play OTB. Um, so I'm, I'm still keeping that up in the air, uh, but definitely Portland. I'm hoping really to be back by Portland. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah. But, yeah, go ahead. No, so you talk about mobility and you're talking about 70 to 80%. And um, is that the main issue for you or is there pain involved with it? So like, or is it both? Like, it, like what is it? And finally, does it injure you more? Like if you play with it, is it making things worse for you? Yeah, so that's the thing is it's like, it's not the type of injury that like I can go out there and play and it's not going to make it worse. It's not like I'm playing with a torn, something torn in my wrist or something. Mm -hmm. And it's, if I play, it's going to more potentially, you know, you know, affect my long-term career. But so it's not like that. It's just out there. It's just annoying. Like there's inflammation in, in my ligaments, in my joints that um, swell up to the point where like, like I can only move it like, like certain percent, like mm -hmm. here to there versus like this wrist, I can move like all the way back and forth. So like when I'm throwing sidearms and snapping my wrist, I don't have the full strength. And it like, and so it's inflammation and pain. So it's not like it's, so it's just kind of a double whammy. That's, it's more annoying than anything. It's not like excruciating pain. It's just enough pain to where, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like a putts don't come out right. Like I don't have the right amount of spin on my putts and it just feels like I don't have the grip strength like I normally do. And so you know, like one out of three putts just kind of fall out of my hand and just kind of hyzer out early without any spin on it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, yeah, it's just super, it's super depressing for sure. Um, but, um, yeah, it's so it's, it's, it's just, I'm trying as many things as I can. I'm trying, you know, I, like I said, obviously many people know I work with a nutritionist. I tried antibiotics. I've tried, you know, I try to do like, I've heard saunas are good for helping detox the body. I've heard like, I've done ozone therapy where they like you know, oxygenate your blood mm. and that's supposed to go body and help like, you know, a lot of viruses and bacteria can't live in an oxygenating oxygenated environment. So when you do that to your blood, it kind of goes throughout your joints and throughout your body and supposed to kill all the, a lot of the stuff that's in your body that's bad. So I've done that. I've done hyper hyperbaric chambers where mm. you go into the chamber and you like Lance Armstrong actually did it, but it's basically you go in this chamber and it oxygenates the air that you're breathing. And then it just all that air that you're breathing in goes into your body and just oxygenates your body like crazy. Cause most diseases and stuff can't live in an oxygenated environment. And so just lots of different, you know, I've done IV drips, you know, I've done like vitamin C where they're like intravenously put vitamin C into your body to try and help you and boost your immune system to help fight off the Lyme disease. And, um, so yeah, I'm just doing tons of different things. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty frustrating because, you know, that's, that's the most frustrating thing is I've tried so many things. And the other thing is like people online, they just like to <laughs> they like make assumptions that I'm rubbing snake oil and, and saying that I'm, you know, I'm healed. Like I'm doing so much more than that. It's not, <laughs> but, yeah. 
to say. <laughs> the, the internet is a wild place. Nick and Matt show obviously is not immune from that. And you have millions more followers than us. So, um, interesting stuff, man. Uh, you mentioned earlier depressed. It's really tough. All this stuff. Like, how are you doing mentally with this? I mean, there's a real mental reality check-in, but like on the day-to-day, like where's your mindset? Are you feeling optimistic? Or are you feeling like you just don't know? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of optimism and there's also a little bit of like, I don't know. I mean, um, so it's kind of like, you know, the limbo is tough. That's the toughest part. Like I would much rather have have like blown out my elbow. Like, hey, I got to, you know, my elbow's out and I'm going to take, you know, three, four months to come back and heal and, and I have a time frame and I can be like, all right, cool, I'm going to, shooting for this date right now it's just like i might be back for otb and if it's not if if you know if the lyme disease is kind of still in my wrist and i'm not feeling good like i i can't play like mm-hmm. and but it also i could wake up tomorrow and my immune system could be like fully you know fully ready to go and you know fight off the lyme disease and i'm you know my wrist heals up you know so it's like the limbo is the toughest part and then going out to like i've gone out to practice putt a little bit and, and like even like nashville there's just so many shots that like i just missed because you know, because of my wrist and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not out there to make excuses, but that's just, you know, you know, that's what I was dealing with. And so playing that tournament and playing like Blue Ridge championships, those were just two tournaments that like I played okay. And I was felt good to be back out competing, but you know, I just, you know, I knew I really never had a chance to win because I just, I didn't, I didn't have my full bag of, you know, full arsenal of tools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my sidearm was, was at 70%. My putt was at 70%. And yeah, it's just, it's just not going to cut it for me, you know, wanting to play at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we actually, you know, kind of still seeing your involvement in the sport, even as you're in this limbo stage, is the Saki Bomb Foundation had actually put the birdie, um, kind of birdie count on Chris and Tatar yeah. for this past weekend. How did that come about and just kind of how, how did it end up after the weekend? Yeah, it was great. So I just, I hit up Kristen before the event once I knew I wasn't going to play and throughout the last year and this year, all the birdies that I get. So I think it was $25 per birdie, hundred dollars per Eagle and a thousand dollars per ACE on the pro tour. And, uh, I'm donating all that to my foundation. And so this week I picked Kristen and she got 27 birdies, I believe. And, uh, so we are going to donate $25. I think I ended up being like $675. And there's also an ACE from somebody. It wasn't Kristen, the ACE, but it's, uh, someone else. ACE. so $1,600 for the week. I'm going to donate to the foundation. And then I told her that, um, we'll pick a school, a couple schools in Estonia to donate just a care package of like a basket and 50 discs is what, what we do. We call it the first putt program where we, uh, put a basket, one basket and 50 discs, send it to a school, uh, preferably like a PE teacher that knows about disc golf. And then, and then that school will kind of have all the tools they need to get kids involved in the sport. So that's kind of our first initiative. And then we're going to, uh, go from there and, and uh, expanding on that. But it was really cool that Kristen wanted to do that and uh, just a cool way to, to keep track and root for birdies and, and uh, watch some of the coverage and, and uh, kind of just have it make it a fun game, that trying to root for Eagles so that way you can donate more money. Uh, it's funny. People are making comments like, oh, you're going to go broke picking Kristen for that. <laughs> yeah. So, you you might have jinxed her a little bit. I sure got to her. <laughs> <laughs> I know, for real. <laughs> I it happens. I wasn't rooting for her not to birdie. I was rooting for her to birdie. I promise that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, so we asked Calvin a minute ago because he's – on a few ranking systems, he's number one in the world. I think there was a few in the the past week or so, two weeks, where you popped up there still at number one or joining number one. Evan, 
I don't know if you recall any of those that they were, but I remember seeing and hearing it. Rick, do you know about those? And how do you feel about ranking systems nowadays? Yeah, I mean, um, I know it's, it's all different. I mean, it's really weird for me because I haven't been playing, so it's hard to rank someone. <laughs> so it's yeah. more controversial than it already is, <laughs> you know? Um, but I mean, just off the top of my head, I mean, it's, it's yeah, right now, it's you got to base it on people that are playing. And obviously, unfortunately, I'm not out there. Um, but Calvin's definitely, I think, the best player in the world. And it's just, you know, week in and week out, you can see by his consistent finishes. It's kind of like, uh, like last year, like I always said last year, the player that's the most consistent week in and week out is going to be the best player in the world. And yeah, Isaac played amazing at the major. And it was, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, it was, it was a great performance. That was, that was really fun to see. Um, but you got to also look up all the tournaments leading up to that, uh, encounter, you know, to, to make your best judgment as far as who is the best player at that time. And, and like I said, you know, considering we had, you know, I don't know how many tournaments, seven or eight tournaments seven, eight, maybe nine tournaments leading up to the Champions Cup. Those are the tournaments week in and week out. you got to add up the points and add up, hey, did you, you know, at this point, in this, it's this stage in the game, top five finishes. If you're not winning, staying in the top five, top ten, who can do that cons- the most consistent is that's super important because it's, it's, it's a type of sport where, yeah, even if you are the best player in the world, you're not winning every single, single weekend. So then the, the next thing you got to look at is, hey, next category is wins. And then the next category is, hey, when you don't win, what, where do you finish? Mm-hmm. Do you finish in 20th or 30th place or do you finish in, you know, fourth, fifth, you know, third, fourth or fifth place? And Calvin, when he doesn't win, he's podium. And that's just a sign of consistency, in my, in my opinion. And that's what it takes to be the best in the world. As you're kind of in the stage of not being able to play every single event that you'd like to, are you keeping up with the Disc Golf Pro Tour and Disc Golf Network? Are you, you know, sitting down watching coverage for both MPO and MPO the whole time? Or do you kind of sporadically get to watch a little bit of post coverage when you can? Yeah, I watch some of the live. I do. I, I enjoy the I enjoy the live coverage a lot. I watched, you know, Kristen this weekend and all, you know, and Kat in their battle. That was really cool to watch. So I do keep up. I enjoy, I actually prefer live. I just, I've always been a live sports guy and, um, and so I'll, I will watch the FPO and MPO. Uh, I like. I, I just feel like the coverage is getting really good, and it's uh, it's enjoyable to watch. And I got to take advantage while of it while I'm a spectator because I'm hopefully not going to be a spectator for much longer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Jonesboro is a course that you've had success at over the years. Uh, you have a tournament win there. Um, talk to us a little bit about James Conrad, 17 down, coming from the spectator side of it. You know, but having played the course and having had success at that course, you know, what is that 17 down like? Oh, I mean, that's an amazing round. I mean, that course is – and, and, and also, as you can tell, I mean, you can say that about any course, but that course, when it gets windy, has teeth. And uh, But when it doesn't, I mean, the players, as you know, at this level, at this stage in the game and how good players are, especially James, I mean, he's just such a – he's just such a such a good thrower of the disc. And I think that that's what Jonesboro is all about. I mean, I think that seemed like the back nine of the course, he really didn't have to putt. He was just parking everything. So it just takes so much pressure off when you're already at, you know, let's say – 10 or 11 under through 12 holes or whatever he was when you don't, when you continuously keep getting those birdies, it takes that pressure off of, you know, the 30, 40 foot putts to keep your streak going. And I think that that's really the biggest thing for him that he did really well is he kind of like saved that, you know, I guess mental stress of having to make those longer putts to keep that streak going. And then he kept doing that up until 18. And then he had hit a nice putt on 18 to, to get to 17 under. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's actually crazy. Like I think, the, obviously, one of the most important holes I think for a round like for a round like James shot is like hole sixteen because you can get the eagle. It's a pretty soft par five, I would say. That uh, 
that an eagle is pretty is, – is a lot of players are just walking up that hole just expecting to eagle that hole. And so once he did that, it was just like, wow, he's having a, a freaking career round. And so that was uh, really fun to watch and, and see him lock in like that and, and uh, play a great round. Okay. Now, as one of the uh, – give uh, one more, Matt, really quick. As one of the top professionals in our sport – that round is supposedly going to be rated 1101. It might drop. It might go up a little bit more. But just in a sense, when it comes from a pro player's mindset, are you really worried about ratings that much anymore? Talk to us a little bit about that. Or, you know, obviously hitting an 1100 rated round is great. It's a huge milestone in our sport. But in general, uh, what do you think about the rating system? Yeah, I mean, I think that anytime you're shooting over 1100 round, it's, it's crazy. And then after that, you're just kind of incrementally like, Hey, is 11, you know, someone shot 1120 versus 1101. It's just really hard to shoot over 1100 and it takes a great and amazing round, but it's definitely different. I mean, like you take a course like Fountain Hills, if you shot, you know, on paper, if you see someone shooting 1800 at Fountain Hills, you're like, Oh yeah, it's better than James's James's 1700 at Jonesboro. But it's like, it's not even close. It's, I would say if you shot like, 15 or 16 under at Jonesboro, that's probably equivalent to an 18 under at Fountain Hills, in my opinion, because of the, the amount the, is how hard it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the fact he shot 17 is, is just amazing because there's so many more variables on a course like Jonesboro, as opposed to a course in Arizona, like Fountain Hills, where there's, there is water and stuff, but for the most part, it's pretty much wide open mm -hmm. and Jonesboro, you've got to shape shots. You got, you got sloped greens, all that stuff. Whereas Fountain Hills, every every green's flat. Yeah, there might be water and stuff, but there's you know it's just there's so many more complex variables to shooting around like that that make it that much better, in my opinion. I, I like so the almost, way Nick set that one up. He, he's like just <laughs> downplay, downplay when he asked the question because I was going to ask you, have you ever shot an 1100 rated round? Oh please, Matt. Yeah. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. I'm not asking that like I don't know. I want to see if Ricky does. Yeah, I have. I have shot 1100 red rounds, but I mean, I couldn't tell you like off the top of my head, like how exactly how many I have shot. Uh, but I think, <laughs> oh, do we want to play that game? I, I know of two. <laughs> too many. He's <laughs> like, I've shot so many. I don't yeah. even know. But <clears throat> well, can I drop a quick fact, do Matt? Do it. Ricky Wysocki here has the most 1100 rated rounds Ooh, in history. Hey. Oh, wow. I do, you wanna, do you want to guess how many? <laughs> uh, seven, six. That's close. Any any other guesses, Matt or Nick? You want one, Ben? I'll say five. Ten. Oh, hey, okay. Ben's the closest. That's nine. Oh, wow. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. How many of them were at the memorial? That's, that's, <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, <laughs> I think I think just one. Okay. So you oh, had 2019 okay. Worlds, right. you had 2019 Ledgestone, 2018 okay. Utah, 2017 Aussie Open, 2018 MVP. Here we go. 2015 Memorial, 2014 Texas States um 2012 brent hambrick and 2016 i guess it's not in order but 2016 st patrick classic in california i mean that that's i mean if, as a player it's definitely around to to put it to this to the viewers this way it's there's definitely like as you mentioned those rounds like i remember those rounds the rounds that like okay I, I like i shot i know i did some amazing things in those rounds and so there is some validity to the PDJ giving you an 1100 rated round. Like there, you, you remember it, you say, Hey, I know exactly what day that was. You know, I knew what I was putting with. I knew some long putts or long drives that I threw really well. So from that standpoint, there is some, I guess, you know, camaraderie or whatever you want to call it as far as like remembering, looking back at those rounds. Yeah. 
And that's kind of that's kind of where I'm going with it. I don't think players should bank on it. I don't think they should care too much about their own ratings. I think ranking uh, ratings as a round give you something to remember, reflect on, also to compare to. Now, Fountain Hills is an outlier. I think everybody agrees with that. I don't think we should use it as our main comparison, but all those other 1100s are probably pretty close in skill level to do. I, I think that's that's where I'm falling with it. Um, but anyways, yeah. We were just curious what you thought, because um, I'm stuttering, because Jonesboro apparently was absolutely perfect, perfect conditions. And this is yeah, not to downplay for the first it, two rounds. but it, yes, to do the 17 under. This is not to downplay it, but to say that, like, who knows what the conditions were at Fountain Hills during those same ratings. I'm just saying, like, it was perfect. It was set up for it perfectly, so... Uh, it was funny. Uh, I actually, I'm staying with Yuli and my sister at their house while I'm in Charlotte. Um, but uh, Yuli got home from the from the tournament. I'm like, hey, how was the, con the conditions? Look super like, uh, you know, super light wind and all that. And he was like, yeah, pretty much the wind was like, the, the wind there was like negative amounts of wind. Like the, the <laughs> baskets were like sucking the disc towards the basket. Like that's literally how. Like we've all played rounds where you're like, wow, it feels really easy right now. Yeah, it, that's just. That right where you throw your disc is exactly where your disc goes. There's no like lifting or like hyzering out or turning way over more than you think. Like that just doesn't happen. So like a player like James, he's got such good angle control that as soon as he throws his disc on the line that he wants, it's just going straight to the basket. And I think <laughs> that's, you know, a re why, you know, he, he played so well is because he's just a point shoot player. And, you know, maybe the wind might affect him more so than a person like, you know, someone that throws really good high, like a player like AB that just bombs and is really good Heiser thrower and bomber. Um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, that's a big, you know, reason why I think. Cool. I, I think some of you are going to laugh by this, what I'm about to say. I think we're all generally on the same page. I just feel like there needs to be an argument made that there is, there is value to the rating system. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm not saying people should bank on it or even really care. But the value in my mind is in comparison and being able to say, like they did in the DGN booth, you've been watching live, Rick. Terry goes to Nate, both the Nates. Hey, do you remember the time you almost had an 1100 rated round? And they can reflect on that round as opposed to saying, when was the last time you shot 17 down? Because Rick, if I ask you that question, when was the last time you shot 17 down? Is that ever? I don't know. I mean. Right. I would remember the rating more so than anything. That's what yeah, I feel like. Unless you did like some part course, you probably shot like yeah. eight nineteen down, right? Because like I said, you know, there's it, the ratings are important in the fact that like, like I said, if you shoot a seventeen under at Fountain Hills or you shoot a nine under on a super hard course, those ratings could be pretty much the exact mm -hmm. same. Mm -hmm. You're better off rating because then it puts it in perspective for the person that you're kind of explaining to, like, hey, I shot this round here and this True. round there, you know. So that's kind of like a good way. Because, like, as you know, we play so many different varieties of courses on tour. That it, that's another reason. Absolutely. It depends who you're talking to. And I think, again, we're on the same page, Nick. Because there's a time and a place to say congrats, you just won your event by eight strokes. Yes. And who cares about yeah. rating? But yeah. there's also a time and a place for someone who doesn't know that course to go, well, what was that rated? And you say, and you go, wow, dang, you played fire. Like, it, it helps yeah, in that that's mindset. That's where I'll 100% agree with you all day. It's like if Ricky says, oh, yeah, I shot 1080 at this you know tournament A-tier, then I know Ricky played right. incredible on that course. Right. I 100% agree with that when it comes to it. And that's why I think almost courses should have ratings instead of you know players having ratings in that regards. For but, sure. yes, I, I will agree with you 100% on that, Matt. 
Yeah, nope. It's a it's a good. I mean, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely positive to it as much as there's negatives as well. But I agree. I agree. We we didn't even mean to do a whole show on this, but it's been permeating yeah. the whole and, show. <laughs> and you and and you can also look at uh, Ricky is a big advocate for talking about consistency on the tour. You know, talking about rank world rank number one players being the most consistent throughout the years. The ratings do kind of show some consistency. Now there are flaws in it, but if you are averaging ten forty five to ten fifty like Ricky has done in the past, Paul. Calvin right now is playing incredible. You're seeing that these players are playing incredibly consistent. I just think there's sometimes a little bit too many propagators. Like if someone wants to go out and shoot 17 down at the Memorial this year, it's not going to rate the 1132 that it rated back in 2013 because the level of competition has risen over the years. And so there aren't going to be as many bad scores as there were potentially back in 2013. For sure. So, But that's a a whole other conversation. Got better. That's Go like, ahead. One more, one more time, Ricky. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't. A, a good round shouldn't be, you know, downplayed just because the they only beat someone by four or five strokes as mm. opposed to like eight like they did back in the day. You know, like mm-hmm. Paul probably beat the next best person by like, you know, I don't even know how many it was. I but. think I think it was actually only by four, kind of like what um, James had just done over at Jonesboro. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, that's just like you said. It kind of proves your point. Like all the players are playing so much better. Where mm-hmm. maybe if someone shot. 17 under five years ago, they're going to beat the next best person by eight, 10 strokes, maybe, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Versus no, definitely. players that play at that level, that there's going to be somebody that pops off on that same round and that takes away from James's rating, so to say, yeah. you know? I, I know you're not out there, so it's not quite fair to ask. I mean, you've been out there a little bit, but we wouldn't say you're 100%. So again, it's not quite fair, but it used to be, and we've been reminiscing, I think, with people that I was watching disc golf with this weekend. Uh, the Ricky and Paul show, like there was years of it where if one wasn't winning, you weren't winning. He was, if he wasn't, you were, it was just, that was all there was to it. The game Uh seems to be so much different now. Again, it's not really fair. You're not playing right now, but like, what do you, but what do you think of the current state of, I'll, I'll say MPO and FPO. Uh, what do you think of the current state of disc golf? Like in the competitive sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's just a lot of people in different stages of their career. You know, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I think like, you know, you got the Pages and Pauls and and me kind of all in the same, I guess, um, age group. And, you know, we've kind of made a name and made a brand, made big contracts for ourselves. And and, uh, and you got the hungry players like the Isaacs, the Gannons, those type of players. And so... It's just kind of how this how sports goes. Is you got these cycle of players that are rookies coming up, trying to make that, trying to play well week in and week out and build their build their name up in the sport. And then you have the players that are well established that can, you know, like Paul and and like I said, Paige is kind of an example in the FPO. And and Kristen's kind of in, she's kind of past the build her name up stage now. She's already built her name and now she's just kind of maintaining her number one spot in the world. And and I think that. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, there's always, you know, it's just like I've said in the past, there's always shifts in sports. So what it feels like is, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you haven't seen the, you know, Macbeth play as, as well as he normally does. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's, you know, he's not going to play well and pop off at some tournaments. I think that it just goes back to like, like what we've seen in the past. We're not going to see that. I mean, Calvin might has definitely has the chance to, to win five or six, seven tournaments in a season. But I mean, you know, when me and Paul were doing it, you know, we'd flip flop. He'd win six or seven, eight tournaments in a season. I'd win six or seven or eight. But it's just so much harder now. So I think that, like I've been saying for the years past, is you, you know, if you're not seeing the seven win seasons, 
you have to go to the next category to determine who's that next mm. best player. Mm. Um, but um, which is like I said, which is like I've always stressed is consistency. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's just a, there's another next generation that's hungry, and I, I love to see it. And you know, like you got the Gannons, the the Coles, those those kids, and so it's cool to see them uh, stepping up and really playing at a high level. And Silas and, and players <laughs> like that, it's cool to see the players like that that kind of get the confidence from learning how to play on a lead card at the final day of a major, because it's just a whole different ball game than doing it at your local course against some, you know, at, in some local A tier, you know? So it's just, it's a whole different ball game. And it's, so once the, those, those kids get that feeling and slowly build off of that, it's kind of, they're off to the races like you've seen with Gannon and um, Nick Loss as well. He's mm. been performing really well at the majors as well. He hasn't won one, but he's, you know, probably the most consistent, at the majors the past you know year i would say as far as his finish that's very something to be um very proud of and something to very take note of in my opinion mm-hmm. when it comes to wins um i am not a massive fan of the pga although i do watch when things like the masters cup and uh, sorry the masters cup <laughs> <laughs> i'm going go- disc golf see the masters yeah, come on just- yeah augusta national like i love it i've been down there i've drove by i haven't obviously played on it um, but when it comes to wins in the PGA, that is a massive achievement. And there are players who are pulling off multiple wins. You hear about it, the big events, um, in disc golf, are wins becoming more valuable than they used to? I mean, I, I, I don't mean that financially, like that's true. That's been happening for a couple years now. I mean, yeah. valuable to the player. Like, look what I achieved. Like is Isaac Robinson winning? champions what is this event i'm I'm all messed up with names now champions cup yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah thank then- you i've got them all messed up um is him winning that like way more valuable than it would have been five years ago like oh yeah i mean it's it's an amazing accomplishment i mean isaac's everybody know everybody at tours obviously knows how good he is and it's not like you know some spec <clears throat> you know, everyday follower of the pro tour may just be like oh wow that's so crazy that isaac won but like to a lot of the players that play with him week in and week out realize that he puts in the work. He can hit clutch putts at any time. He can hit fairways. He hits gaps really well. And, and so he's just, yeah, he's well equipped to win at any time. And so it's not really a surprise, uh, so to say, from the players that are playing at a high level and understand what it takes to win because he's got all the ingredients as far as, you know, his, his, um, his skill set. So I think that, you know, that's, you know, an important thing, you know, and you respect the player like that. That's like, wow, he's, he's, he, he did it. You know, that's, that's an amazing accomplishment. And, um, and he's, yeah, like I said, it could change the whole course of his career just because of that. And because he's going to gain a lot of followers, he's going to gain a lot of, you know, eyes because which he deserves because he performed and he just completely owned the competition, which is so hard to do these days. And the fact that he, you know, won by that much. I mean, it looked like it was a lot. It stroke wise, it looked like it was closer than it actually was. Um, but he just completely dominated the entire week. Yeah, and so, and so again, to the importance of winning. When you are back a hundred percent, which we expect and pray that you will be, um, will a win again? I, and it's presumptuous of me. I mean, you're a great player, but will a win when you yeah. do get it feel better than ever because of where we're at in the sport for you? Yeah, I definitely like, I mean, 
so it's it's crazy because like player like Calvin right now, it just kind of feels easy, you know, and that's that's because he got his game and every and his putting and his how, how far he throws and just his form in general. Everything feels easy for him. So when he wins, it just feels normal. Like it feels like yeah, and like my game is so good right now that like I can go out there and feel like I can do that every time. Um, but the you know the crazy thing about disc golf and golf in general is like the saying is like. It, 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 everything feels easy until it's not. And then once or everything's easy when you have it and then when you don't have it, it feels like you're impo- it's impossible to get it back. <laughs> that's kind of like a, as far as the form of disc golf, that's how I've heard like PGA pros say that, but it's wow. super, it's, it's super accurate because you know, it's, it's, it's disc golf, golf. It's all very, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say trending, but it's, you know, very, you know, everyone has their, spurts of like you know calvin will win and then it'll be gannon and then it'll you know be someone else right. um and so it's that's the crazy part about our sport is there's so many people that can go on that run of win three or four tournaments and then maybe have some good finishes and then win two or three more tournaments towards the end of the season mm-hmm. that really puts separates themselves as far as player of the year and you know winning that major tournament and and all that stuff and so yeah all those dynamics make it awesome to, as a player to have that opportunity to, to say, Hey, my game's trending in the right direction. Like I feel like I can win one. And so it keeps people coming back knowing that like, if you, if you had a good finish one the week before, and then you go to this next tournament, really feel like your game has a chance to win and it can, and it it can help, it can change the lives of people. And I think that's the amazing part is just getting yourself the opportunity to get a tour card is one thing. And then going from achieving that tour card to actually winning that tournament that let's say you get a, three-year exemption in the future if you win it if you win a elite series event that's huge now mm-hmm. you have three years to prove yourself gain sponsors and and make out of this sport so that's what's going to happen in future generations that uh the tour card is going to be so important and we're going to start seeing storylines and you know news outlets media outlets like you guys talking about hey so-and-so may lose his tour card if he doesn't have good finishes and and yeah. i think that that you know i know next year is going to be Right, and you're going to probably start seeing players and big names that you thought are, you know, are just locked in that may lose their tour card. And I think that that's, that's just inevitably going to happen because of, like you said, all the amazing yeah. next generation and next shift of, of athletes. game. Evan, I, I don't know if you have anything to say on that, but I saw Evan reacting off camera with some smiles. What do you think about the tour card thing, Evan? Um, I mean, the tour cards, it's incredibly it's so interesting just because there's so many good players right now and and how quality um quality players are just getting their tour cards set for next season i just mentioned andrew presnell um so i i think it's really it's a good system to have and it seems like it's on the right trajectory going forward especially compared to like last year where it didn't seem like it meant too much but it had some perks to this year being a, a pretty serious feature and in the future it's going to be even more and more serious and i like the way it's going i don't have a lot of visions with it uh but i like what i see i just yeah i think that oh go ahead no i was and i'll let you finish this but i I like what you said rick like people getting exemptions if they win like i think there's going to be a lot of value to it go ahead yeah i think that that and i think that's they were going to roll that out this year as far as all the exemptions and how to do all that stuff like if you want to major you get a you know a lifetime into that, into the champions cup, like Isaac will be exempt for yeah. 10 years or whatever into that event. And then he'll get like a five-year exemption on the, on the disc golf pro tour elite series or something like that. So there's, there's so many stipulations that people don't think about 
like a new player, like in the PGA Tour, if you if you get like a top 10 finish in a tournament, let's say I wanted to play a PGA Tour t- Tour tournament and I actually Monday qualified into the event and got a top 10 finish. Like all that does, that's great, but all that does is that allows me to play the next week. So <laughs> if I don't get another top 10, I, I don't play until I, until I find somehow another way to either Monday, Monday qualify in or get a sponsor's exemption into an event. So like, it just puts a premium on getting that tour card and it, and it makes it so much harder to get them. Wow. And so, yeah, so it just, it makes it, and I, I'm not saying that that's what the pro tour is going to do. Um, but it's just, um, that those are the kind of dynamics that they're going to have to figure out is how, how to get one. How do when you do get one, how, how are those people getting demoted? Like, are you going to take the t- bottom 25 on the, um, let's say elite series and take like the top 25 of the silver series like two, uh, like younger players and up and coming players that want to make it on the mm. elite series, and bump them up. And I've heard them wanting to talk, wanting to do that. And um, so just all those things like that, they got to roll that out and really see wow. what what's gonna, what's you know, and uh, yeah. So I think that just all those all those little intricacies are what they're working on and why they didn't roll out roll it out this year and they're gonna roll mm-hmm. it out next. Then drug testing, as you know, like that's part of the tour card. Like if you want to have an exemption in all these events you got to pass our drug test you got to pass our all the different things that come along with having a tour card it's not you know there's a lot of stuff that you have to do for the pro tour as well it's not just hey you get to sign up for these events it's like hey you have to hold up an image you have to show up to media days you have to show up to press conferences there's a lot of stuff that they require as well it's not just a one-sided thing where you're just like okay cool i get to go to the events and i get my private bathrooms and i get <laughs> you know my private parking lots and all this stuff like which is what we kind of get now and it's all great, but you also have to look at it on the flip side. Like the pro tour needs things from us as well to be able to promote us to the fans. Mm-hmm. I'll just say this topic is extremely intriguing. Um, I actually haven't done much thinking about all that. And I think that's, that's an incredible uh, going back to the masters again, the PGA. That's the one event that I really watch. I love it every year. It's my super bowl of golf. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Sam Bennett, this kid that came out of college, right? He had an exemption or a sponsor. Or he won amateurs. He he won amateur nationals or whatever. And like came out incredibly hot. Had he won that, he probably would have gotten an exemption, obviously back to masters. But like, to your point, I see that a lot of really cool storylines could come out of this. Like you said, letting in the new players. For instance, we know a player from our neck of the woods, 15 minutes away. Shout out to Paul Kranz, Am World's champion. Went down to Champions Cup, and I think he took, what, 17th, 18th? 20th. 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 Yeah, so I guess, like, players like that, how are they going to get in? That's to your point. I think there could be really good storylines, demote, promote, really cool stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and and they're going to, like I said, he's an AM World Champion. Like, that's a player that's obviously a great player and the best amateur in the world. Like, he deserves a spot on the Pro Tour for the next season, like, or at least, like, a half exemption where he can pick, Mm -hmm. you know, eight of the 16 elite series events to then if he has good finishes from there, can then qualify for the tour championships and pursue his career, you know, give him at least an opportunity as opposed to like, you know, not doing anything, you know? So like, <laughs> yeah, that's, but actually another, another point on the Sam Bennett thing, I think if he would have got top 10, he would have been automatically um, qualified for the next year's masters, but oh. I think he actually dropped. So he didn't get the qualification. Um, but it's yeah, it's pretty. It, like I said, and that's how crazy. That's how tough it is. He's like he played an amazing, amazing week, and um, and also I think I just read an article actually because I'm a huge golf masters guy as well. Is he actually was an amateur and he couldn't take his payout 
so his payout did you see that <laughs> no i didn't uh, see the payout. i knew the number had, was there but what what did he miss yeah they had i think it was like i think it was around a million <laughs> what and he had to, the payout back to the payout of the tournament into the purse and he because he's still in college like he's a college golfer so he's an and that's just how the golf um rules are stated it's not like this golfer like oh, okay i'm just gonna take cash and yeah. i'm a pro from here yeah. he didn't have that opportunity <laughs> oh that's, that's so what i was thinking up. i'm like mom yeah. dad i quit college i'm gonna take the yeah. check yeah like you have to like that's not a thing like if you're an amateur going into the event you're still like it doesn't matter how much you make like you're still <sighs> an amateur yeah. <laughs> you can't like oh cool i won the tournament won four million dollars <laughs> nope you're like, nope that just goes to everyone else now yeah yeah. Like, congrats second place officially you pretty much won the tournament <laughs> oh that's ridiculous yeah yeah it's probably not how it works i'm sure it gets spread out but yeah yeah, that's yeah. still that's still crazy well yeah that's wild even even with college athletes allowed to make brands for themselves now and accept money from outside sponsors i don't know the full logistics of it but i know that yeah. is something that's been rolling around the last year and uh even with something like that surprising that he still can't accept that money i mean we're talking that that's big money compared to yeah. what we're making in disc golf right now, like a million dollars. That's big money for him to get top 10 at a tournament. That's, that's insanity. Yeah. And uh, to not be able to accept that is just, that's, that's a big slap in the face, but <laughs> really you know, ho hopefully at, at that point, hopefully that just shows the potential success that this player is going to have in their career. This, now, this goes you, to, you gotta hope that this isn't the last time that he's going to be in a position like that, but this goes to next 1100 yeah. rated rounds. I mean, yeah. he could take the place or he could take the cash. And I feel like in this yeah. sense that we're making a point and I know it's not the same ratings and cash, but yeah. like be proud of how he finished. Right. That's what we should mm -hmm. be talking about. But it is fun to hear all these other storylines yeah. and um, man, yeah. So anyways, those are really interesting topics. Mm -hmm. I feel like so, we'll have to save some of these for the off season, but I'm glad yeah. we brought you on Rick. What else, what are I mean, else we missing of, to talk about? Well, I, I was going to say one, one last thing kind of while, while we're talking about golf a little bit right now is let's, let's expand out the pro tour field in the disc golf world, expand the field a little bit, but cutting the players, cutting, let's say the top 50% or excuse me, the bottom 50% after two rounds. So let's make most elite series events, four round tournaments and doing a cut after two rounds. What do you think about that? Do you think that's something interesting? And the same conversation kind of goes with you have your two feature cards, you know, Ricky, Paul, Calvin, and Gannon are teeing off at 730 in the morning on Thursday, but then on Friday, they're teeing off at 330 in the afternoon. That's something that we could also kind of take. I know we don't want to be exactly like golf, but this is just more for the conversation aspect, talking to a top level player. Yeah, I think, I think that's the fairest way to do it really, as opposed to, you know, somebody that, you know, it's don't. You know, if you don't get the opportunity to be on a feature card, then you're just kind of luck of the draw. You could get teed off at 7:30 one day, and you know, you could be getting teed off. And depending on how you played, like you could be getting teed off at super early both days. So it's just the fairest way I think to do the draw because the feature card, you know, a lot of times favors the the good players. The rich get richer is a lot of times what a lot of people mm -hmm. say because the best conditions are a lot of times in the afternoon. Like you're teeing off at 3:34 o'clock, the wind's down. Let's maybe the rain's down. And I know the rain can go both ways, mm -hmm. but a lot of times the wind towards the end of the day, you're finishing the round at, you know, seven, seven o'clock, the winds, you know, calming down, you get an hour of calm conditions where the guy that teed off at nine, nine AM has to tee off and win the entire day. So it's a completely different course. So mm -hmm. I think that's a good way. And there's still, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't fit the luck factor. Cause you know, if you get the morning and afternoon, like it's all, some people can get, afternoon then morning and that's the better draw like they talk about that kind of stuff at the masters like 
who got the better draw with the with the wind and the rain because that was a very big factor this year uh, because some of the some right. people played in the rain some play as much rain you know and so it kind of it's still you know I don't think it's going to solve the problem because a lot of people are like oh it's not fair but it's like it, it's it can go both ways yeah it may not be fair for one tournament but you switch it to the next tournament. And then now the you know the early wave has the advantage, and the late late wave has has to deal with the rain and the wind or something like that, you know. So, people are loving your conversation. By the way, they're, they're chanting "Let Rick talk." So we're going to keep letting you talk. Um, <laughs> okay. What do you? Well, think? let's talk about lip golf then. Yeah. No, I'm just <laughs> Maybe. I'm just kidding. Maybe we'll have to do the like the unplugged version of the show. But what do yeah. you think about a course like Jonesboro? I. I don't have a direct quote. I think it was on Paul for the press conference this week, but it was something along the lines of like, hey, the lack of OB. I don't think he used these words, but the lack of yeah. OB allows players of all different, quote, skills to to throw an errant shot and still be safe and be able to scramble to get par, or not even scramble, but, and I, I'm going to throw a shot here. So it condenses the scores at the top. I think it makes it really exciting for the viewers. As an elite player, how do you feel about courses like that? Do you want to see it more like the the rich, as you put it, get richer, or do you like courses like Jonesboro? Um, I I think he's very right in that in that aspect of as far as you know. There's a lot of holes out there that you know it's kind of like a bomb and gouge type of course if you're comparing it to golf, like where you get players like Bryson, what he was doing, he was just bombing it as far as he could down there. Even if he's in the rough, he's really close to the fairway, and you just kind of chip up and either get a birdie or par. And that's what's going to happen in a lot of holes. And that's kind of how Jonesboro is. And that's why you saw a lot of the top players shooting between 10 and 13 under every time is because you're not really going to have that round. If you're a top player that you're going to shoot, you know, even to five under, that's just, that's because you have so many birdie opportunities because there's no OB stopping you. And, and I think that that's something, you know, you got, yeah, you got the Island hole, uh, but that's really the only hole that's coming to my mind that really has OB that's, you could really take a you know semi big number on and all the other holes it's like yeah if you're calvin or eagle you literally just bomb it as far as you can if you if you're having errant drive a little bit yeah you're a little out of position but you not even have to say part you can still get a birdie so mm-hmm. it's just yeah it's just a completely different game and i think i would i think it would be uh there would add more separation which i think it needs out there and i think that's what paul paul was getting at is um, the separation uh, in order for it to be there, you need to add more out of bounds. You need to add, you know, more tougher shots as far as tee shots go and maybe put some OB, not that you want to just put OB everywhere, but that's just kind of like the nature of the beast out there at Jonesboro. And yeah, I, I guess, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to turn it into Winthrop, but you also. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I, I was just player, about to bring that up. In, instead of, you know, let, let's say the course property line, let's say that specific OB, let's say the whole thing was barbed wire from the property line. There's houses nearby, whatever. You take your two meters in. Now the rest of the course that's playing off these fairways, what if you make them hazards? And so the flow of the course is still kind of saying the same because these players are throwing from where their disc landed out of bounds in the hazard, but they're playing from that spot. I, I would assume that that kind of keeps up course play. It keeps up the momentum going forward with it. But you're adding in that extra element of where players have to be a little bit more, you know, you know, determining of what their shot is supposed to be like. For sure, and and yeah, I think that. So yeah, Paul had a, had a great point. I think we can learn from that, and and definitely, you know, if if the course designers listen listening to me, <laughs> I would like to see. And I mean, it's turning in like that a lot of places, like Champions Cup. I mean, people are just shredding that course. You know, you could say, oh, it needs to be harder. 
Um, but I mean, I think it's just, it's a completely different story at Jonesboro just because like I said, a lot of the fairways are pretty much wide open. There's just a small gap that you have to hit. And then once you hit that gap, most of the players are just, you know, it's either a birdie or a par and you're not really seeing that many bogeys, double bogeys. And, um, yeah, so that just allows, you know, just doesn't allow for much separation between the players. And yeah, it can be interesting for the fan when there's, you know, you see this big stack of players that are, you know, only two, three strokes off the lead. But that also says something about the course as far as like, you know, there's, you know, there's, it's kind of seems like the type of course where there's four or five holes, the island hole, hole 18, and let's say hole 16. There's like a handful of holes that really determine your round if you're going to separate from somebody or not. Because mm-hmm. well, like 16, you can eagle that hole and you can par it and there's two strokes. 18, you can birdie it and bogey it. You know, whereas like hole one, it's like it's a birdie or a par. You know, it's not really – they're not going to get the bogeys and the double bogeys on that hole. So it's just like that's where, you know – I think Matty O said it one time, like there's a lot of courses on tour where you have to play 13 holes and get the high percentage birdie, and then the other holes are where you, did, you know, try to separate yourself that one or two or three strokes on the, on mm-hmm. the course. Mm-hmm. Well, again, we could go on and on, and some people want us to, but we, <laughs> we have jobs that – or I, I have a job. I don't know. I'm just saying. I can't stay up all day. <laughs> Um, but these are interesting things. Um, and for what it's worth, if you're not out there playing, we'll probably have you back on with some more topics. That'd be awesome. Yeah. We'll have the rookie Wysocki recap, just tournament <laughs> okay. after tournament, you know, until he's back and actually playing them. Um, yeah. Uh, Matt, I, I don't have anything else. Um, what, what did we miss that you want people to know anything? I mean, we've covered your, your, what you're doing with Lime and, uh, what you're hoping to do and maybe OTB still out there, but like, Anything else? Yeah. What, what should we be looking for from Rick? No, I'm sorry for all the fantasy disc golf owners. I know I'm probably <laughs> you guys roasting me, uh, drafting me in the first round, and, yeah. <laughs> and disappointing you. I know Calvin was saying he was disappointed with you, or you were disappointed with him for for not picking him or something. Yep, yep. Uh, um, but um, yeah, no, all in good fun. Um, but actually, it's funny. A new adventure I've been taking is my brother's been starting to play, so I've been he's been sending me form videos, so I've been spending some time helping him out. So that'll be cool. He just played his first term and he's 18 years old and uh, he's just, I wanted him to start playing when he was like 15 or 16, but you know how it is when they're young, mm-hmm. they want to do whatever they want to do. And now he's kind of starting to really, get fun. <laughs> so he's, nice. he's figuring out that he wants to play disc golf on his own without me uh, forcing him. <laughs> That's awesome. Good. Now, first of all, it's awesome. Yeah. You'll do forum reviews via phone. I'm glad I have your phone number. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But no, secondly, that's cool to hear, man. Um, he's, he's like, I guess my brother's pretty good at disc golf. Maybe, you know, I should send him a form review. (laughs) That's kind of what it turned into. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, dude. And you know what, for what it's worth, like I have this moment of like sibling being proud of, I I don't know if I could put myself in his shoes, but he must be extremely proud. The fact that his brother's someone he can reach out to and he's got the connections, you know, that's how you put it. It's like, he's my brother. So that's cool. Yeah. It definitely helps. And so I'm thankful to be able to have the time to help him out and give him the the resources to just give him the opportunity to get better. And so that everything else falls on him as far as how much he wants to practice and get better. There you go. Again, I'll look upstairs and I'll say, you hear that, boys? You got to practice. <laughs> practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, my eight-year-old yeah. goes out and beat, beats grown men at these tournaments on the weekends now. It's an AM3, but it's still pretty fun to watch. So. Oh, yeah. That's that's a great start. I learned how to play and get the tournament tournament pressure. That's all super important. Exactly. Um, 
for what it's worth. And now, Tanner, I promise not to embarrass you. But there was, <laughs> so I, I, I won't go this, I won't go too far, but some serious emotion. I'll put it that way. Some very strong emotions came over him after a few holes of him playing like he felt like he didn't do as well as he wanted. And I was really surprised. Um, so the, to your point, working through this tournament play and how do you deal with this? I think golf, the game of golf, disc golf is wonderful. I'm going on my soapbox for junior competitors especially, but learning how to manage yourself because that's what golf is. It's you you versus the course. So I think it's an incredible self-disciplined sport. So that's that's no one needed me to preach that, but there you go. <laughs> no, it's important. Like you said, and the good thing to take away as a parent is, especially if you want your kid to play, is if your kid's feeling those emotions, that means he wants to be out there and he wants to play well, which means obviously he loves the game. And so that's, that's actually a good thing for the future in the long haul of someone like your kid uh, playing uh, for, for a long, long while. And let me yeah. say this, because if he is listening, that one might have embarrassed him a little bit. Let me say this. He deuced a hole, the only one in a field of, I think, 20 who did it, and he's eight years old. So... That was really cool. And for him, that was a bounce back because the first round he took a six. So it was a major bounce back to it, too. Yeah. There you go. Wow, that is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So shout, shout out. So he's learning. He's talk, talking to him about mental mental stuff. He's a mental he, game right there. He's legit a killer at eight years old. And I, I don't know what else to say. And I, He's my own kid, so everyone hears me brag on him. But I mean it. Like, my jaws dropped half the round. So anyways. Uh, well, thanks. We'll be looking for him. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch out. We'll do that round on Maple Hill Reds. Yeah. He's coming. <laughs> All right. Remember that million dollar round? You said it couldn't be Maple Reds, but I'm thinking maybe we should. You versus my son, eight years old. Right on. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on, Rick. We really do appreciate it. Um, thanks for your time. We know it's valuable. We've talked about that before, and uh, we'll have you on another time soon. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed the show. Thanks, everyone, for watching, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, Thank appreciate you, it, Rick. Peace out. Peace. Ricky Wysocki. What's, what's so funny about that is if Ricky was to play Tanner on Maple Reds, I could totally picture Ricky just wrapped her legging hole one like in Tanner's face, dude. Just like like beat down style, yeah. just like in your face. It, it, all, all in good fun, but I could totally picture Ricky just making that such a funny video to watch. I don't know if um, there's like a real win for Rick unless he did make it extremely <laughs> fun like that. But like, dude, it would be hilarious. It'd be entertaining to literally watch. just like if Ricky just went out and shot like 17 down on Maple Reds or something, <laughs> but was just like trash talking the whole time. Like, I would think that'd probably be the funniest thing I could see Ricky. And doing. then, and I'm not saying this so many people would be, be so pissed. But, no, I'm not saying it's because yeah. it's Tanner, but then he could redeem himself and be like, here's a scholarship to whatever. Like, it would be cool. Yeah, it would be cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, but intern Ben, everybody. Yes, we've made it towards the end of the show, but intern Ben has some content for us. First of all, we shout out his channel every now and then because Thank it's you. growing. He has a cool video up. Go check it out. Ben Kenny's the YouTube. But what do you got, intern Ben? All right. This is a little segment no one was prepared for. <laughs> it's true. And it, it's basically a question to all of you. So it has to do with on the disc golf course. We've all been to tournaments, games, or whatever, practices that I meant. And we play with random people all the time during these during these tournaments mostly. And there's this phrase that I hear at least once every tournament. Good bid. And it is starting to make me be like, bruh, 
I've heard this a million times already. Like how? Like I'm trying I, to figure out what it is. is and I'm going to tell you. No, don't tell us. I'm so uh, no. I'm so uneasy right now. So li- listen, let me. Can we it guess at it? <clears throat> no, that's. I want. I'm going to give you guys a chance to give your own. What you what what you hear way too much on the disc golf course. It's a phrase. My, I'm going to tell you what. I don't really get annoyed. I'm just kidding. It's just. I hear it so much, I feel like it's overused, and I feel like the same people use oh, it all the time. Oh, sandbagger. No. Oh. It's this. When your disc, when you and your other person's discs are right next to each other. Do you know where I'm going with Making this? Making minis. Making minis? No, no. It's a little farther to the basket. All right. You're out. No. Wait, what? I'm so lost. Listen, okay, sorry. Okay. So I, your, I disc, your disc land next to each other? Yeah. Like, not next to each other. And like they one's go, a who, little, who's out? One's a little closer to basket. One's like further, and then one's a better shot. They're like you're out. Oh uh, no, it's <laughs> somebody's closer. Oh, it's the happy Dude, Gilmore. How many times have you guys heard that? I've heard actually it. Not, very, very rarely. Yeah. I may I hear, it, I hear it every single I, time. I'm not gonna lie. I may hear it in a casual round, like if me and my boys from Virginia are playing against each other, because we usually just trash talk the whole time. Yeah, but, if I'm um, playing with you, Ben, I'm going to do that. Okay, so the I'm chat not do got that it. Playing with four yeah. randos, I hear it three all randos. the time with randoms saying somebody's closer. So <laughs> this is the this is the segment I'm just bringing. Do it. What are some? What are? Just, I just want to know some of the phrases that you have heard. Some some of the unique ones, obviously not. Good run. That's pretty normal. <laughs> Some of the unique ones that you hear all the time that is like between I, it could be 20 random people. And I've heard somebody's closer from these 20 random people and they're not related. So I just want to hear your good putt. I hear good putt all the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess. No, no. Um, It's a little on the spot, but you'll see somebody's close. I hear it all the time. Yeah, I, uh, every time. I don't oh. really know. I don't I really know. know of any like phrases that I hear. My two biggest things are. It, this will be like first hole of a tournament or like a couple holes in or whatever. Someone will say, who are you guys having on the show this weekend? Yeah. And then. <laughs> That's true. What's going on Which with Which is Paul? fine. Those are the two <laughs> questions that I hear. Oh. Every single. Yeah. Just about every single tournament. I hear well, that. And I always actually, answer where I'm like, okay, I can't talk, answer though, either. What is of those... going on with Paul? Huh? Like you finished. You finished outside the top 15 again. What? What's yeah, going Nick, on you have to tell us what's going on with Paul. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm sorry. I'm you know? sorry. Continue sorry. on. Keep going. Anyways, um, I always have to answer that question saying, I have no idea because we usually don't know who we're getting on the show until Monday night, yeah. which is generally a pretty good assumption of it. And then uh, I usually don't talk to Paul about the tournaments, actually, really all that often. We we talk about other stuff. So I feel yeah. like but that that's that's what I hear when it comes to actual phrases. Um, I, I hear people randomly sing baby come back when someone when someone says baby come back and they say it in that i'm always because <laughs> it's a little guitar solo right there and i'm but, like um, yeah you over yanked it okay so that, that, that's back. that's a perfect right. example okay. where it's like a common thing that people say but <laughs> yeah. it's not that common that's a good one yeah Okay, this might be too common, but I'm at least going to go with it is like if a few people got a birdie on it or on a par three, I guess, and whoever's keeping score goes around asking everyone scores and be like, oh, hey, yes. what'd you get? I got a two. Oh, good two. What'd you get two? Oh, good two. Like, I just think it, 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 it it's two. like the smallest thing. There's nothing wrong with it, but I yeah. don't know why it just it feels weird to me. I don't I don't know. That's like it's just a or, pet peeve. That's not actually. Yeah, no reasoning. Or yeah. when everyone just gets a par and they're like. It's a party. 
or par frame. Like, like okay. I've heard star. I, I've heard star frame for the lame. Oh, I've <laughs> never heard that. You know, That's a good bars. one. Yeah, someone be like, all right, do we get a star frame for the lame? That's and, a good. I don't one. know. Whenever, so I actually I keep score majority of the. Uh oh, he just froze up. Uh oh, it's it's the fifteen minute mark. How about now we're getting off a little top on to off topic. It's a little, a little off bit. tangent. A little off tangent, but then like people being like, every you're in a tournament and you're throwing a hole. And they throw it in the OB and they're like, I always, I always deuce this hole. Always. This is the first time I've ever done this, you know? And you're like, every hole you say that, like, you must have perfect rounds. You know what that reminds me of? I'm going to the office season one here when they're playing basketball in the warehouse and Michael Scott just chucks a half court shot. That's nowhere near. And he goes, I usually make those. Yeah. When people act like right. that, that's what I think of in my head. I'm like, yeah, you're Michael Scott. Quit it. Like, stop. You don't always make those. G- golf's a hard sport. You're not always getting birdies. Yeah. So when people expect to always oh. get birdies and they don't, I'm like, stop it. You got. You just got me down another path. And I swear, Ben's done this a lot of times too. <laughs> Everybody does. Yes, I ben gets on all of our nerves. I shouldn't <laughs> throw him under the bus. <clears throat> but like. It's probably not even Ben, but I, I think I've heard it. We'll see. It's probably more Nick than anybody now that I'm thinking about. <laughs> like, oh God! He'll be at like we'll be like at Cogs. He shoots three. He's like, damn, that was a horrible round. And I'm like, oh, yeah. What? Unless you're shooting your perfect round, it's a horrible round. Like I know what the could have beens were, but like how many times do you play that round and you shoot way better than that? Oh, there's a lot of could have beens. I, yeah. I I had a round this past Sunday that I was like super frustrated because I, I was playing this course realistically. Like I played it once a couple of years ago, but all the pin positions were just a little bit different from when I've played it. And I just I played poorly that day. And so one of my buddies came up to me. He's like, "Hey, would you shoot?" I was like, "Oh, only four down." And he was like. Oh, and I had said like, yeah, it was so bad on my part. And he was like, oh, I shot one down and that was incredible. And he just said, he was like, it's funny how different, like, you know, he's an MA40 guy and I'm an MPO player. And so it's just funny where, you know, everyone kind of has that mindset, but I'm pretty bad about that where I I go out and shoot. And I'm obviously not going to shoot my best round every single round, but I'm pretty bad about being like, damn, that's. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm like, bro, you just, you beat us by six and I know you have high expectations, but I'm like, that's not a horrible round. (laughs) Yeah. To defend Nick here, I think there's like kind of two scenarios with it. There's the one is you're uh, a way better player, and so you should be scoring way better. But then there's also the classic tale of everyone. If you play your average, you're probably disappointed. Like my average honestly isn't that great. And if I do that, I'm I'm disappointed. I want to shoot better than my average. We always want to be improving. We always think we can probably do like 70th percentile for ourselves Absolutely. and when we don't do that we're disappointed that's and a I, I agree that is frustrating. And I'll, I'll i'll kind of defend myself a little bit on this is <laughs> i played a tournament past this past saturday what the first round rated? i shot it was the first round was 1036 rated nice. so obviously well okay that was that's pretty good obviously you know 30 you know 30 somewhat points above my rating and uh so one of one of, one of the guys came up to me afterwards and he was like, hey, man, how'd you shoot? I was like, oh, I actually shot really well. I left a couple out there because I did. You know, I missed, I think, one or two circle one putts. So I was like, I missed a couple out there, but I played really well. And then the second round, I shot 11 down right after. And I was playing clean the whole round until I bogeyed the last hole. And that's where I was like, oh, that round could have been so much better. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would like to say I know when I've shot a good round. Yeah. And because anyone could go out there and let's say the top players in the world, they probably shoot like. 14 to 16 down if they were to like play really well at that course like 12 down was really good 
And uh, I know I did not make many mistakes out there. And so I'm pretty good about saying like, yeah, I played a great round. Everyone can say they did a couple things wrong that they'd like to take back. Like I had one bad upshot that caused the bogey later on. Um, but at the same time, I was like, no, I, I played it really well. If you shot 17 down, I don't think you say that was a bad round. No, gosh, no. <laughs> no. But this is fun. I think this was fun. Um, no, and, and obviously us saying we get bothered by things, we have to be lighthearted with that. We don't, I am never yeah. during a round being like, that really bothers no, me. No, yeah. Like, not at all. It, the, the somebody's color doesn't bother me, no. me at all. I just think it's yeah. so funny that I've been in 30 different tournament rounds and at least 20 <laughs> different people yeah. have said, somebody's closer. And I'm like. When they're farther than you, though? Yeah, when they're mainly little, when they're further than it's you. not even to me. It's just in general, and I'm like, it's because I've you heard throw this far a million times. <clears throat> you throw far, but I'm just saying, I've just heard but, it. Okay. Also, Ben, you do throw far. So yeah. if I throw further than you, mm-hmm. I want to rub it in your face. Same. Yeah. I, I'm going to do that next time. I remember. I now we're all doing it. Everybody because you see in turn because okay, out of eighteen holes, it. it might only happen once, and so I got to say it. Yeah. I, I want. I'm, this is a challenge. Now that we've established <laughs> this on the Nick and Matt show. Next tournament or anything, if somebody says somebody's closer, unironically Tag on us. your card, please DM ben, us and I'll. Keep ben, track. I'm not gonna lie, you literally just brought this into existence to where every tournament you play, yep. this is going to be <laughs> said to you. <laughs> like you, you just caused this to yourself for the whole rest of your disc golf I life, know. and you've put this upon us as well. As now people are gonna say it to me, Matt, and Evan. But I'm somebody's closer. I, so I'm thank you. This. Yeah. I guess my 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 quote that I yeah. say my signature quote is stupid basket. <laughs> That's mine. Or, or this is a stupid hole. We heard you. Um, I don't remember which tournament Evans. it was. <laughs> I want to say it was at Meadowbrook. Shout out Meadowbrook. Yes, where the epic final went down between you and me. But we heard you somewhere on the Dude, course. I, I, and Dave yeah. Chandler's like he was following our card, and he's like, um, I think that was Ben. I am, and I was like, I can't tell if he was excited or mad. Uh, so I'm very ex, uh, expressionful. Is that is that a word? It, I, I, I vibe with the card. I see how they are. But the way I kind of keep level headed is kind of just like being like sporadic and just yelling random things like, oh, snap. Like stuff yeah. like that. And Where, he will do a full 360 spin on one toe. Like yes, while he's like doing my that. body language. Like, that's his tournament play. And. Again, it's totally acceptable, yes. but it's it's fun. If I, I got I gotta feel fun. the vibe of car. If it's people, invi- but I can hold. It just helps me not get angry because I can just express whatever. Like, oh, that was oh my yeah. goodness, you kidding me? And then I can just not in like an angry, just like in a laughing smile, with like, you gotta be kidding me, like that. And then I'll be cool. And then yeah. I, I, I won't harbor it inside. Gotta find that yeah. disc golf mating call video where you go. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like that's just natural. That wasn't up for the cameras. That's just me being natural. I'm like, oh. I wonder where the energy that... is always natural. Yes, the oh, energy I... is natural. So, I think this is it. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes for the putt, and then he keeps doing the laws everywhere. But, anyways, that that was in turn bent during a round. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've made it to the end of the show. This was a good closeout. It was a good time tonight. Matt, Sorry we, did, we didn't music. line up Cat. Um, yeah. We tried a lot or of different Aria. routes. And I would expect that we're going to see her in an interview this week. There is a lot of logistical stuff coming in from winning an event 
um, to the next day making this work, everything from travel to who knows what celebrations and everything in between. Uh, I would expect you'll find an interview with her and go watch it, support her. It's an amazing thing. Uh, just didn't work out for us this week. So appreciate it. Nick, go ahead and close this out if you will. I will. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in on this wonderful Monday night. I forgot to say this earlier, but this episode was presented by Cosmic DG. Go over to CosmicDG.com and check out everything to do with them. They're great supporters of the show, and we love them. Matt is actually wearing one of their hats. Um, shout out to Descura. Shout out to all the sponsors that have really helped us out with this show. Check them out. Support them when you can. Don't forget to leak, leave a like, comment, and subscribe to the video. We're over 9,000 subscribers, and we've got some really cool things kind of in the works for giveaways and all that good stuff. But once again, thank you to everyone tuning in. Tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. Like, we talk about our YouTube subscribers and they're valuable, but man, our audio listeners, I've always just... Killing it lately. I love them. And I don't know who they are, but I love them. <laughs> and our live concurrent viewers might not seem like a big deal to some, but we started out, Nick, with like 60 or 70 to three years ago. Yeah. Last yeah. year, we were probably averaging two to 250. Yeah. This year, we're averaging like 450 to 500. Yeah. It's yeah. It's been awesome. Thank you, everybody, for the support We here. love you. And that's just live, of course. Exactly. Our live chat is totally fun. If you have, yeah, Evan, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you guys are awesome. If, if you're just a listener, that's totally cool. We love you. Check out the live show sometime. Get in the chat. Let us know. We love it. Ben, you're awesome. Nick, you're awesome. Evan, you're awesome. Let's close it out. Peace out, everybody. Peace. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.